morning, everyone, and welcome to episode 100 of the Retrospectors podcast, Pathologic 2. My name is Patrick Arthur, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, James Turlings. James, it's been a long time in the making, but we finally hit episode 100, and what better way to celebrate it than with Pathologic 2? I'm very excited for this one. I don't know of a more miserable way to celebrate something, um, but I was uh, very excited also for this one. The first game, of course, was uh, one that we had mixed opinions on, um, but both of us agreed that the story and writing were fantastic, and I was very excited to hopefully play a game that also had fantastic gameplay. <laughs> yeah, we should probably spend some time explaining why we are doing Pathologic 2 for episode 100. So... Uh, for those who are not familiar with us, who are listening to us for the, for the first time, welcome. James and I are the Retrospectives podcast, and what we normally do is we play classic games of the past and we critically analyze and review them from a modern perspective. And the idea behind this is not only to weed out nostalgia and figure out which games have not stood the test of time, but in many ways, far more importantly, to identify when games have stood the test of time in many cases because they use design principles that are rough around the edges. Uh, an example of this would be uh, Thief. Thief is a game that has a map system where you're given a map that's kind of like a lot of the time a crudely handwritten map with not a lot of detail. And you have to use your imagination and your ability to piece together what's on the map and connect it to the 3D environment. You compare this to how a lot of modern games do map design where everything is visible and your map is absolutely filled to the brim with markers. And it's clear to see that although we have changed the way that we do maps to this new spewy map design where all the information is visible to you, that's not necessarily a better system. And in many ways is a worse system, particularly for the kind of game that Thief strives to be. So a lot of what we're doing on this show is trying to identify when classic game design principles, either from a sense of ignorance or just because they knew what they were doing with a sense of restraint back in the day, have seized upon something special that has been forgotten in particular by AAA game design. So how does this tie into Pathologic 2, our decision to do a game released in 2016, which absolutely breaks our... 15 to 20 year old rule in half. Well, Pathologic 2 is in many ways a combination of incredibly hostile mechanics to the player in a whole bunch of different ways that we'll get into shortly. And even its story is hostile to a player in the way that modern games aren't. And I think that it's a good example of a game that exemplifies this principle. So while Pathologic 2 isn't a classic old game by any stretch, it certainly has expanded on and refined a lot of the principles underlying many of the classic games that we've played in the past. Does that sound about right to you, James? Yeah, probably. Honestly, my reasoning for playing it was that the first game was great and I wanted <laughs> to play the second one. <laughs> I, uh, and that's a good reason as well. And, you know, we've done, we've done games like that in the past, although this one was a bit different because we've never actually played Pathologic 2. We'd... We'd played Dark Souls and we'd played Celeste and we knew we'd love them. This one we only strongly suspected we would love. Uh, and I guess we'll find the truth of that as the episode goes on. Absolutely. So Pathologic 2, I think um, for this one, as, as is often true of sequel episodes that we do, 
we strongly recommend that you listen to our Pathologic 1 episode before listening to this one. I know this is episode 100 and it's very exciting, but Pathologic 2 isn't just a sequel to Pathologic 1, it's a remake, it's a reimagining. And in fact, many of the story beats from the first game are exactly the same in some ways as they are in Pathologic 2. It is a meaningfully different experience, so Pathologic 2 is a game that can stand alone. But a lot of our discourse this, this episode will be around Pathologic 1 versus Pathologic 2 because they both are so similar in so many ways. So straight up, highly recommend you listen to the Pathologic 1 episode first. And there's a lot of discussion we probably won't be having a second time just so we can you know keep things fresh so there's mm. a reason to listen to both um so we're probably are gonna just skip past a few really important things that we discussed in detail back then um although we'll definitely be visiting a few old chestnuts i think <laughs> yeah on that note james i think it's also worth talking about how if our feelings on pathologic one have changed over time since we did that episode because i know that We've talked before about how games can kind of stew on your brain and you can develop a deeper appreciation of them over time. Is that how you feel about Pathologic 1? I already really liked like the game and the mm -hmm. world like on my first playthrough, uh, despite some of the you know kind of monotonous aspects of the gameplay. Which, but having played Pathologic 2, I think there was something that I underappreciated about the monotony almost is a very is a game with very eccentric philosophical characters who speak in allegory and you know mysticism half the time and I think that the first game had a lot of dead time for you just to sit there with your thoughts which now having played the second game I really appreciate I think this is a much more involved experience which overall i think is for the better but there was you know not a lot of time for me to process things as they happened compared to the first game um that said like you know i'm still really fond of the original mm. uh i i'd say it's in my top three game stories ever i really loved the world it was a really special experience for me that i really don't think you can get anywhere else i think um you've absolutely nailed it james it, and i think in many ways this is a good uh example of a, of what we do on the show which is that some sometimes you don't appreciate the cost of adding things until you add them so yeah. obviously pathologic 2 has a much deeper complex gameplay system than pathologic 1 but that doesn't mean that pathologic 1's <laughs> absence of gameplay or more limited gameplay is entirely without merit. Uh, and so I have grown a deeper appreciation for Pathologic 1 over the past two weeks as I've struggled through Pathologic 2. Uh, I think that where we're going to start is story. So I'm not going to spend ages on this, but it is important to note what Pathologic 2 is exactly. So Pathologic 1 is a combination of three narratives. The bachelor the harrispex and the changeling these stories play out simultaneously over 12 days so when you're playing as the bachelor over your 12 days the harrispex and changeling are also kind of doing their own thing interacting with you trying to heal people in their own way as you go about your business and then the same thing happens as you play the other two characters Pathologic 2, on the other hand, only has a single playable character, the Harrow Specs. 
There is some short DLC involving The Bachelor, which I think is the first one to three days. I haven't played it yet, but it's certainly something I'm interested in exploring. But what that means is that this is a far more restricted experience compared to the first game. So straight out the bat from a narrative point of view, we're only playing one character really. So the other two characters yeah. are yet to be released. With the Bachelor playthrough, it seems, is in full development and is going to come out in DLC at some point. Uh, when we played Pathologic 1, James played as the Bachelor and I played as the Harrisbex. Um, I since went back and played most of the Bachelor playthrough and watched some videos, so I'm mostly familiar with what the Bachelor does in the original game. Are you f super familiar with the Harrisbex playthrough in the first game, James? No, I wasn't actually, because I knew that we would be playing this game at yeah. some point, and I thought I would rather just experience it fresh, so... Um, I did my best to avoid spoilers for that route other than what you shared with me on our first recording. So this is basically a brand new experience for me in some ways, and I'm kind of glad that I kept it that way. Yeah, I'm actually kind of envious of you that you get to have uh, <laughs> both character playthroughs. However, the more I played, the more I realized that these, these playthroughs and the story in particular is actually quite different, even though it's ostensibly the same character. Yes. So the nature of Pathologic 2, I said it's kind of a remake, kind of a retelling, because the game story is effectively the same. You receive a letter from your father as the Harrisbex uh, saying that he is in deadly danger. So you, Artemy Barak, a surgeon who was originally living in this town, you come back to save your father or just see what's going on. And before too long, a deadly epidemic breaks out, trapping you in the town, along with a cast of characters that are all struggling to survive, scheme, or betray one another. It's a real cesspool of, uh, of corruption and messy, messy politicking in the heart of a plague. And as one of the only three or four doctors in this place, it's up to you to try and develop some kind of cure or some kind of solution to the this deadly terrible plague that's uh ruining the town that's all i'm going to say right now but we will be getting into the weeds very shortly this is going to be a fully spoiled uh episode so we're not going to hold anything back if you do want to experience this game's plot completely fresh i highly encourage you to either play the games or watch a youtube video if you're not up for this kind of gameplay either is fine the story is fascinating enough in and of itself that watching um people talk about it or explain it is going to be just as meaningful as experience well not just as meaningful mm. it's going to be no, i disagree it's, <laughs> it's still going to be very enjoyable even if it's not meaningful in exactly the same manner so encourage you to do that first or you can just listen to us talk about it but we will not be holding back spoilers in any way shape or form so james let's let's get into this so I wanted to start with you because you're coming into this from a very different perspective to me. I played the Harrisbex playthrough in uh, Pathologic 1 and I played it again this time. And at least to start with, the story was very, very, very close. And in terms of its plot beats over the first couple of days. My first question for you is, what did you think of this change in character um, and what did you think of the change in style that the story of the story being told? The Bachelor playthrough in Pathologic 1 is very much about politicking in a lot of ways. The Bachelor is a central 
figure in the game and is interacting with all the leaders and trying to solve the problem that's being faced the town in an almost administrative way. Because the Harrowspec seems to have more of a personal journey, I guess. Did, did, you, did you find this change was for the better? Did you think it was different? Tell me how you felt about the Harrowspec's story in a broad, in a broad strokes fashion. So from my understanding was with the original game was that the Bachelor was meant to be the introductory route to the story. Um, you're a character from the big city who doesn't know anything about the town on the Gorkin River. Um, and you really, you know, the townsfolk are very strange, very superstitious. There's all sorts of, you know, oddities and quirks with their behavior. Uh, what the they town, like. what they look like. There are these weird, seemingly mo not monsters, but not human beings that inhabit the town. All sorts of just weirdness. The architecture. Um, yeah, yeah, the architecture is bizarre, and the layout of the town makes no sense. Um, the way people talk is very odd. They kind of explain to you that during this part of the year, September, um, the Twernfields are in full bloom, which casts this, like, mind-addling miasma through the town. So everyone's so everyone, high. Everyone's high as fuck all the time. The characters speak really allegorically weird hushed tones and you know sometimes they talk straight past you or ignore what you say it's very strange and as kind of as the bachelor i you know this all you know was part and parcel of the experience i wasn't expecting to understand things right away and i was actually quite surprised at how little the horror specs seems to understand as well I get the because he's um he was born here right, but he leaves mm. as a child to go study medicine in the city, um and a lot of the the old ways have kind of left his memory. The game does this cool thing in dialogue where it lets you either role play as someone who has no idea what they're talking about, or um lets you ask for people to jog your memory. And oftentimes this dialogue, uh, the question is the answer itself so you don't actually need to you know click on it, it to get the explanation which i thought was cool um but yeah i was i felt like the horror specs was just as lost as the bachelor was initially on the first few days yeah and um, i have to say definitely when i played as the horror specs in pathologic one i was completely lost because i hadn't played the bachelor <laughs> i really went in with no idea what was happening and no idea of the machinations of everything that was going on around me i guess uh i wanted to know it's the bachelor seems to be much more in contact uh with the heads of the city in his playthrough in number one and he seems to be much more in charge of trying yes. to organize a administrative solution to the plague did you feel as a Harrispects that he was just kind of bumbling around doing nothing? Or do you think that he had an important role to play in, in the story compared to The Bachelor? See, it's fascinating because here's a bit where I think the difference between the games comes into play. Because I actually think that the first game is a lot more linear in some ways than pathologic 2 where pathologic 1 basically every day you would be given these three quests and you would have to complete all three you're kind of free to pick and choose you know to an extent what you do in this game so there's a lot more in some ways there's a lot more agency here which does lead to a feeling of you just struggling to work out what to do 
but I think the game nudges you in the right directions enough that you kind of like you have an idea you you know what you want to achieve and trying to figure out how to achieve that is the main goal of the game whereas I think the bachelor is very organized in his thought processes and the way that he interacts with the town folks you know he goes through the proper channels where the horror specs you know deals with some pretty shady figures does some pretty shady stuff on his own um, and gets tangled up in the deep end of the town's mysticism and the kin who uh, I basically had no uh, prior experience with with the bachelor's route and I learned a lot more about these characters and about their customs and history um, going through and I think I got a lot more of a you know, a balanced view of the ending, because one of my favorite things about the original um, was that the ending is very subjective based on which character you played. Mm. Like, they all arrive at their own conclusions about the nature of the plague and the town, and in some ways each of their conclusions is completely different and completely valid without invalidating the view of the other healers. Yeah, and I um I completely felt that way, and we I think that came through in, in our discussions in the um in the episode we did on Pathologic, where you were telling me like it's obvious you have to preserve the polyhedron, I'm like it's obvious you need to destroy it, and that was just because we were so in the headspace of the characters we were playing. Yes. So I have an opinion about this story from a broad perspective now that I've played both the Harris specs in game one and two. And that is that I think the story is considerably worse in this game than it is in the original game, even if we narrow it down just to Harris Pex's perspective. Uh, okay. In the original game, the Harris Pex, while he is uh, more involved with the kin and all of that is true, he is far more involved in the, um, I guess, in being given instructions and working together with uh the this administrative structure that's ruling the city you are constantly working with the bachelor over multiple days to try to develop your first crack at the panacea you're getting instruction from the oligimsky family both vlad and his son um you're going to see the girl at the termitry you're interacting with these administrative figures and while you're not organizing it in the same way that the bachelor is you're viewed as an important figure and you're being used as a tool by all of these different uh people and they are all manipulating you and one of the things that i love about the original playthrough because i hadn't played as the bachelor it wasn't exactly clear to me the degree to which i was being manipulated that's something that only grew as i played through the game and started experiencing it on a deeper and deeper level in this game, I feel like the story has lost a lot of the subtle political machinations that kind of inhabited the world of Pathologic in a far denser way in the original game. You're just not interacting with these figures as much, and it just feels like you're kind of doing... I, I think the nature of this story, because it's kind of flatter and giving you more options to go in different directions, mm. there's less... Uh, emphasis placed on that main story thread, uh, that complicated and cohesive main story thread that occupied uh, the earlier game. I um, I really just didn't connect to the writing as much in this game. Um, 
And I think that it's because the world has shrunk around this one character, as opposed to the first game where it feels like all three stories were written at the same time and all together combined to make a more cohesive world. Does that ring true for you as well, James? Yeah, I think it's because in order to, I'm going to say fix in quotation marks, the gameplay, um, they've tried to make it less linear. um, And as a result, they kind of can't tell these like dense narrative plots in the same way that the first game could. Like I think the, the three quests of the day in the first game kind of acted as this very you know all most of the plot of the game is contained therein Mm. um whereas it's all kind of spread around now and the game's developers kind of can't guarantee uh what exactly you're going to experience in the game so uh, to me it felt a bit like you kind of did whatever for most of the game and then at the very end there was a couple of uh, mandatory story segments that kind of tied things together. I completely understand that sacrifice had to be made with the story in order to improve the gameplay. Mm. So, like, I and I agree with what you're saying. Basically, um, it's also it's difficult for me to know. It's difficult for me to know how I would have reacted to this game had I played Pathologic Two first, basically, because mm. to me the world is not fresh anymore as it you know as it was when we played the first game Mm. so i think a lot of the narrative doesn't hit as hard because you know i'm experiencing it for the second time basically Mm. um and i i find it difficult to tell where that those feelings begin and end if you know what i mean yeah no and that's that's true for me as well i was i was also feeling the same way i'm like have i lost a sense of wonder because i've played through the game first but i i don't think that's it the other thing that stood out for me and this is going to kind of go into dialogue and we can go into that more future is that i think that's worse well it's not just the specifics of the dialogue i found that a lot of the interactions with specific characters was them being rude and uninterested and authoritative like ordering me what to do or i'd go to a place and they'd be like we're not talking to you we're having our own conversation yeah and you compare that to the first game where everyone is buttering you up and and this is the thing that was so good about pathologic one people were manipulating you they were trying to be kind to you and if you played your cards right you could manipulate them back by playing into their games in one way and doing something different in this it feels I talked a lot in the previous episode about how Pathologic 1 was hostile to the player. And I don't mean hostile to the player in the sense that characters tell you to fuck off. I mean hostile to the player in the sense that these people are playing you, that these people are taking advantage of you and using you as a tool. And I just didn't really get the same feeling from this story. I got the feeling Um... that I was struggling, but I wasn't struggling against a bunch of people trying to exploit the situation it felt far more kind to the people in power that, that everyone was doing their best whereas in the original game there were people in this game that were pieces of shit and it just didn't come <laughs> through in the same way the, the yep. there wasn't that cruel fundamental cruelty in a lot of the characters uh that was in the first game i don't know if that's entirely absent i encountered a few situations where the game offered me bad choices basically Mm. um one of the things that i don't know if they had the kids uh 
strong that the secret stashes around the town in the first game. No, I don't think so. I certainly no. didn't encounter them. So this is one of the things I really like that they added narratively and in gameplay. So the kids of the town, you know, they're kind of weird because everyone in the town is, but the kids have these little boxes hidden all over town uh, filled with stuff, right? It could be thimbles and tweezers and walnuts and like junk, or it could be some medicine or something. And they play this game where... If you take something, anyone can take something from the box, but you have to put something back. Mm. Um, and if you are too greedy, you know, they take their revenge on you somehow, right? Mm. Um, and I don't know if you got the event where they take their revenge on you because I was too greedy for a while. <laughs> but uh, No, I never got that. Okay, so basically at some point, and I was being very stingy near the end of the game because I was really struggling. Mm. Um, the chill, there, I found a note in one of the boxes... And it says that the children have located a murderer. They've found the murderer who's been writing creepy notes in the boxes, and it marks the location on your map. Mm. Um, and so you go to that location, and you get jumped by a guy with a knife, and you're like, oh shit, this must be the murderer. So, you know, you kill him, and then you loot his body, and he has a note on his body. And on the note it says, we the children have found the location of a thief. He's going to try and break into this house at this time. <laughs> and it's like this fucked up, you know, game that the children are playing to get two people who are stingy to kill each other, basically. Brilliant. Like, that was like, I felt manipulated then. That's um, quite cool. Yeah. And then similarly, there was a quest on like day two or three where Lara asks you to get a water barrel. Ah, uh, yeah. And, and there's I, one poisonous one and one normal one yeah right? well basically i chose like i was like this is a terrible idea and just didn't get her a barrel at all that's what i did yeah yeah and basically because of that that district was spared from the plague for a day because um you know she didn't bring all of these people into this one place basically mm. so i think there's aspects of that dna still here i don't think it's as strong like you said and i do miss how well i didn't know how much you like the horror specs got into it in pathologic one i just assumed it was missing because it was in the first game actually um i figured that was more of a bachelor thing um but you're making it sound like it was present there too it's more that a lot of the conversations had like if you were uh conflict orientated in the first game you would get punished like you would yep. you would get uh like a lot of the time you would just fail the main quest if you selected the wrong dialogue option it was absolutely mm. brutal i missed out on getting like four serums for the panacea because i couldn't remember a children's nursery tale if you remember <laughs> because it expect so yeah just quest failed instantly lose uh but like for example i made the changeling I tricked her into telling me the nursery tale in the first place by saying, wow, that's such a good story. Uh, I would say the thing I miss is less the, the freedom of the character to manipulate back and more the density of the ways in which others were manipulating you. That's, that's yeah. the thing that really feels like it's missing here. You're just kind of wandering from place to place, keeping up with stuff. And I, I do miss all of the interactions you had with the bachelor in the first game because the whole idea is the bachelor is you is using the harris specs as his like it's like i want to be able to do this stuff but if i try to i'm just going to get killed on site so i need to use this you know medicine man this local medicine man to do all this dirty work for me 
you you interact with him like once or twice, uh, and then on day nine he's he shows up again. But it's uh it's nowhere near as densely interwoven as it is in the first game. There is a like a the critical mass of interaction with your confidence just isn't there. I yeah. felt like in in the first game the people on my list I interacted with like every day basically, and I really got to know the characters. In Pathologic 2, like someone like Notkin, for example, was on my list, and I really only spoke with him on day one and two, and then he just vanished from the story completely, basically. And there's a reason I... for that, you know, right? So so we're going to slightly delve into mechanics here, but the idea is that people can die in die. this game. Yes. A lot of these characters can die. So they needed to write this story in such a way that characters were dying uh left right and center they had to write this story with the idea that a lot of these critical characters could die and the story would somehow have to go on so once again they're a lot more limited in terms of constructing a complicated story i've been pretty negative james but i, I don't actually hate this story it's just that it's i think it's really good still um like i thought that and I didn't really get to experience it in my first playthrough, but I thought all my interactions with the kin culture was like, mm. you know, I got so much more out of that this time around. Um, they seemed more fleshed out to me, at least. And that, that's probably just because I did the Bachelor playthrough first, but I found in the first game, honestly, the, the choice at the ending to be like super easy. And although I think the there is a correct choice in the ending on this game, I do felt there was like like there was a tension there. Like when I pulled that trigger, it felt bad, and I didn't want to do it, but it was obviously the correct choice. Yeah, and, Whereas I was like, it was so easy for me the first time. Yeah, and I hope you kind of got an insight into how why I felt what I felt about the. I guess the spirituality connection I had with the first game um, kind of came through a bit stronger in this playthrough because you do go into the guts of the earth quite literally in oh, this that game. That bit was awesome. Yeah, it's, I really liked that. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty, um, it's pretty impressive. It's, it's a bit more. It's interesting in the. I don't know if you, I remember if you remember what happens in the first game. It's quite hilarious. Uh, I walked there and I got knocked out. Yeah, in, in, in the first game, you basically do all these trials for the foreman who's um, trying to kill you with these trials. And in the end, the final trial is to jump in a hole. And if you don't speak to the changeling first to get her to protect you, you jump in the hole and you die. Die. <laughs> it's just, it's just, I didn't do. Yeah, uh, I don't so remember funny. any of that. Yeah, it was. It's quite, great. quite, quite amusing. Yeah, the foreman's a very different character in in this game. Did you um? Let's talk a little bit about the dialogue because I found yeah. and and maybe the change in characters. It's very it's more succinct. It's right? more succinct. There is some stuff. Uh, I guess some philosophical perspectives, particularly when you speak to the mistresses, uh, they still yes. speak in kind of a loopy way. But in general. The dialogue is much more grounded and reasonable and these characters i think feel more like human beings uh than they did in the first game yeah and i kind of lament that honestly i liked the i liked the insane ramblings uh, about immortality and the nature of being from the canes i thought it was really enjoyable that was like my probably my favorite part of the game was the crazy dialogue honestly it was just nuts um they've they've really humanized the characters here a lot more everybody's a lot more they make a lot more sense in some ways but yes 
it's a very different experience in that way and i do think it kind of adds to that um feeling of like that lack of connection to the characters because you don't have them spill their guts to you every single sentence basically here <laughs> um so there's a bit lost i felt yeah it's um, what i would say is that i don't necessarily think this is worse because i think that it helps feed into the kind of experience that the gameplay is trying to create like they're really trying to drive home the suffering that everyone is going through and yes. everyone being a more grounded reasonable human being makes the suffering uh feel more real whereas yep. the first game with the more abstract dialogue it just like i said that that game pathologic one is like a fever dream Yes. And thinking back on it, it feels like a fever dream, even <laughs> in the way that the architecture is constantly taunting your abilities to navigate that bloody town. Uh, but but I agree with you, something is lost and something uh, ephemeral about the that heady feeling you get while walking through the town and contemplating the latest dialogue you received has has gone with with the way these characters speak at you in a more direct way i don't think it's gone right i just think that it's less dense in every single conversation and i think there is the same amount of information present in this game but you can't get it in a single playthrough is how i feel i think that if you really go out of your way to talk to characters every day that mm. you know you might not have a quest for them and talk to you know characters about those characters i think you can get the same level of understanding about them you know maybe that's a bit less true with only the one playthrough but i don't think all of that is gone i just think mm. it's spread out more basically and that's fair um, although like the game really doesn't want you to just you know spend two hours meeting a random character in the hope that they have a bit of dialogue because that's not always how that's like a that's like a very interesting use of your time in this game <laughs> to to do it on the well, hope that there's a bit of dialogue i do think that this game is more replayable than the first game by like a lot a hundred percent like e easily when... well it depends like it, it depends if you consider the playthroughs as separate because i think that the two Two to three playthroughs of Pathologic One probably offer more than replaying Pathologic Two from a story perspective. Yeah, probably. I I got halfway through the Changeling route and just couldn't do it anymore. Mm. Like it was oh, just very very same. Fa famously, uh, that's undercooked. So yeah, although like the there's not enough to do during the day basically in that game. Like I wish I could just halve the length of each day, and I think it would basically be a lot more enjoyable. Whereas in this game, I feel like I could still like on repeat playthroughs using gained knowledge to do better than my first playthrough mm. which was admittedly a fucking huge train wreck um, <laughs> i died like 20 times or something it was i was getting like because in this game Man, if you die yeah if you die you lose max health like across all your save files my character was on like he'd lost like a third of his health basically by the end yeah, um, i only died five times because i'm a professional gamer unlike you yeah James. i don't know how you did that i have no idea um it's pretty easy i died constantly yeah um i'll be i'll be interested to hear more about those deaths <laughs> uh, oh yeah i was just starving to death basically yeah i was uh i was a trading machine <laughs> but yeah, yeah I'll, I'll tell you about my gameplay strategy that carried me to victory um 
later. Mm. Um, okay, so my next point about the story, and this kind of ties into everything, and it's a very important part of Pathologic, one that we didn't spend an enormous amount of time in, in our discussion of the fir first game, is the fourth wall breaking, the meta layer, the fact that this is a stage play and it's not all happening, the fact that the developers are playing with you. How did you feel about this uh, this, uh, this concept and how it was used in Pathologic 2? Uh, strict improvement, whereas the, the story and the characters, I think, is somewhat of a side grade. I think the way the meta-narrative is framed and interwoven throughout the story rather than being dumped on you at the end uh is just fan is just so much better than the first game which at times it felt a bit shoehorned in it feels like integral to the themes in the game this time around i think they did a much better job of um making it obvious from the beginning that that's what's going on you know there's these weird stage lights that appear in the town pointing things out to you uh mm when you think about the characters in terms of a play like all the voice acting is done as if they're standing in front of a crowd monologuing you know in this toneless voice and the way uh, everyone's standing even you walk into a building and people are like standing as if they're posing in for yeah, a play yeah yeah uh, i think it's much better and i think they tie the themes of the game together with that much better as well like the themes of choice um, the idea of overcoming death, that kind of stuff. Um, the introduction of the new character, I don't think the fellow traveler was in the original, um, but he fits in really well with the whole like thing that they've got going. And I think the they're not removed, like you can see them as Easter eggs, but I like that they really didn't emphasize the, the children uh, who are playing the game, basically. Mm. You do, you do see was, them right at the end. You do end, see though. them. Yeah. And the, in the, the very start of the game, they're there in the tutorial. Yeah. Um, but I'm glad that it's toned down because the, the, the whole thing, I think the, the, the theater stuff like is enough on its own, basically. Did you find that, because the game is much more heavily uh, tutorialized at the beginning of the game. Because yes. at the beginning of the game in Pathologic 1 is the Harrispex, you basically speak to a couple of birds um, and then they're yep. like, good luck, have fun, and you have to stumble your way through it. I, I don't know if you remember, but when I first started playing Pathologic 1, my first playthrough, I was like, ooh, I had no idea what the game was. I thought it was <laughs> like a walking simulator, so I was like walking around exploring the town. I wasn't doing any <laughs> trading. I wasn't buying anything. I was just walking around enjoying the, all of the different places you could walk up to and going like, why is there nothing to interact with? Very, being very confused. Uh, because I didn't know what was happening. I didn't know what, what the goal of the game was. I didn't know yeah, this was a survival uh, game. <laughs> this is also strict improvement. I think the game gives you the tools you need to succeed, but it doesn't tell you exactly the best way to use your tools. Um, I think uh the fact that it teaches you at least the base mechanics and then lets you pretty quickly go off on your own is like a good thing like i don't think the tutorials are overly long um but they are somewhat necessary i think um and they do i thought the whole like dream sequence intro thing kind of like fit really well with the whole game i really really enjoyed the like the conversations with the the dude in the train <laughs> yeah no they they are they are good and on the whole i quite like this as well 
I will say that in some ways I do think that the fourth wall breaking, I guess the subtler stuff that happens in the first game does is a better fit for the fever dream that I remember Pathologic 1 to be. I think one of the interesting things about that original game is that the town is so strange already that the fourth wall breaking, breaking stuff just feels like yet another strange thing in the town. Whereas the more grounded, immersive feeling of Pathologic 2 um, makes the fourth wall breaking stuff very obvious in what it is trying to accomplish. I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it's, I think it's a, different, a different approach. But Pathologic 1's, surprisingly in some ways, is more cohesive with that meta layer. Uh... Because it all, in the sense that it, the game is so strange and weird already that adding one more weird and strange thing to it doesn't um doesn't change it as much as the dramatic impact it has in pathologic 2. yeah i, I can't really agree with that honestly okay. to, to me it's just a massively improved here basically i think that one of the strengths of the writing style um, both in this game and the original game, is that the game never gives you direct answers to anything, basically. There are difficult questions about the nature of many characters, about the plague, about, you know, lots of the events that are happening in the game. And while the game gives you information to work with about everything, it never directly gives you answers. I think that a large part of the message of the game and the things that it's trying to teach you are, you know, it's about coming to your own conclusions. And I think that the meta-narrative stuff here much better guides you along that path, but without, you know, answering things for you. I think the thing I didn't like about the children, I guess, at the end was that it was a weird conclusive answer to a game that was otherwise full of mystique and intrigue. Yeah, I, two I think very consistently like does not give you clear answers to fucking anything. Yeah, I I agree that specifically the bit with the children is less interesting, but there's a meta narrative thing going on where uh where you have a conversation with the game developers at the end of the game yeah. if you say and that stuff is kind of I find that stuff fascinating, something that this game doesn't do because it's very caught up in this Really? Uh, okay. Well, it, Just... it's very caught up in it being a play as opposed to like a video game to the point where the, the original game flat, flat out states because uh, Pathologic 2, sorry, Pathologic and Pathologic 2 do the thing where you don't have uh, return to top uh, dialogue menus. Once yep. you commit to a dialogue choice, you are committed to it and your your dialogue continues and that's something that they specifically call out when the uh, plague birds are speaking to at the end of the game um specifically on this i guess what i'd say is that i found pathologic one to be a lot more obtuse and that was massively to my detriment in the first game to the point where i had to restart the entire game on day three because i was spending so much <laughs> of my early game faffing about However, that strict obtuseness in many ways made the experience more special as I was coming to grips with it. Is the obtuseness a good thing? No, no, it's not. But I kind of, coming into this game, having everything so readily explained to me so easily, it felt like it robbed the original a bit of the magic of what made it special. And I admit that isn't like a really good reason for wanting, for wanting them to not do that. 
But uh, yeah, it, it, it kind of shaved a bit of the rough edges off here. And I think I kind of liked those rough edges. Mm. It's funny that you mentioned the lack of the developer commentary, because to me, in 2 specifically, mm. Mark Immortal is like the developer's vessel, basically, mm. is how it felt to me. Like, a lot of his conversations are... It felt like from the game's director, from the play's director. I guess using the play as a framing device as opposed to a video game is kind of the difference. In the original, they were well aware that it was a video game that they were playing with the player, and that's kind of like the terminology they used. In this, they've gone with the play uh, terminology and metaphor, and I understand that's a subtle difference, but it is a difference. Mm. And it makes sense because they, I know that the, um, I can't remember the guy's name, but a lot of the meta narrative is taken from a famous playwright. So it makes sense yes. that they would continue to use the play theme. All right, James, I've got one more major note for story and uh, we've kind of touched on it slightly, but that's on the endings of the game. Yeah. How, how did you feel about the, and this isn't the meta narrative stuff. This is just the in-universe endings. How did you feel about the endings of this game compared to the first? So I think from what I remember, it's quite different to the original, um, but I think that in some levels, the endings are contradictory to what you're doing, but on another level, they're not. And I think that is kind of one of the themes of this game is this like ambiguity that kind of pervades the entire experience. Um, because, because to me, the, like the option that you're given basically to destroy the polyhedron uh, or not to, um, and destroy the town instead. Um, and to me, the polyhedron is one of the most ambiguous and contradictory structures in the whole game, because in, on some levels it represents the future and mankind's ascension to a higher plane of existence. But on the other hand, it represents uh, stagnation, the children's inability mm. to grow up. It's, it's kind of both of these ideas at once. Um, and because I think in Pathologic 1, the idea of destroying the polyhedron was destroying that idea of the future. Whereas here, they're leaning more into the, the idea of it being, you know, a form of stagnation. The idea that immortality that Simon achieved and that the children are sort of achieving inside it, it does not you know lead to the future but leads to a world stuck in the past um, yeah it's it's more complicated isn't it i yeah. and it's it's harder still because we only have the harrispex's perspective yes uh but i think what you want to do is you want to go to uh isildur is isidore uh artemy's father and what he says is that the town is fundamentally broken yes like there, there's something wrong with the town and it's not just the um this wondrous construction it's also the the slaughterhouse and, yes. and the way the kin are being treated so his desire in unleashing the sand plague was to break the town down so that it could be built into something new i think that this game does a pretty poor job with the kin so really well okay. in, that was in, sorry the opposite of my feelings well in some ways i mean i think that it does a great job kind of like showing us the kin and their culture but it doesn't fully explore or give you the option to fully explore the ramifications of i guess post-colonialism it seems like the kin are being exploited as slave labor in this town effectively yes. and your final choice at the end of the game is do i 
you know, do nothing and let the kin continue to live and let this plague kill a lot of people? Or do I destroy this polyhedron and save the people in the town? And I don't understand how, after spending the entire time playing the game, trying to save the town um, and save the people in it, because that's what you're trying to do. You're trying to develop the panacea. You could turn around at the end of the game and be like, no, I'm not going to save the people in the town. They can die. It's okay. I'm going to not destroy this polyhedron. It's fine for all these people to well, die. Well, I mean, the idea is you're saving half of the town and sacrificing the other half of the town. Your, you know, your people, the kin, right? But did um, you did you feel like I at least my playthrough? I didn't feel. I, I know that the game has you interacting with the kin a lot, and you learn about a lot about that culture. I did not feel anywhere near as close to the kin as the children i was trying to protect because all of my quests were about protecting the children effectively i kept using you know schmouders on them to keep them alive i was administering immunity pills everything i was doing was in service of creating this panacea i think that if the game had started with me also helping the kin and trying to you know, help them out, then maybe I'd have a more balanced perspective. But hell, I didn't even get the kin to like me until day 10. They weren't listening to me until day 10. Like, I, I don't know how you have the time to develop the same emotional connection with them. At least for me, I felt it was pretty equally split between the two, actually. Like, it was stuck in the back half, but there was a lot of learning about the characters throughout the story. Um, and I think that culmination on day 10 where you you know you show your strength in a way i don't know if you took the violent or the pacifist route for pacifist i i did not have a knife so i was like yeah we're doing i'm not i'm not <laughs> going to try and kill these guys <laughs> yes and i think you do like your connection through aspity is your early connection to them um because she's basically a rock at the beginning along with uh, big Vlad, I felt. Hmm. Um, and I think her character is actually quite different than it was in the first game to some degree. I felt like even in the in the first game, her character model, I was unsure of like what age and gender and like I had this character was such a question mark to me and they're just an, they're obviously like a, you know, creepy old woman in this one. Aspidy was in love with you in the first game as the Harrowspecs. Like it was, it was like she was really yeah like it was far more it felt far more romantic uh, you know like a deep a deeper love for you whereas this she's kind of more she's of like, a spiritual mentor uh, she felt like a mother almost um was how i would describe it and i i think that i've just been wrecked by pathologic one because yeah she she was like deeply in love with you in that game so i just <laughs> i did i just couldn't see her as as a as a mother in this game because i just had her in my head as that but i see what you're saying now that that does kind of fit yeah and i don't know this is super spoilers but i forget if they hinted this in the first game but she's supposed to be like like how clara is hinted as being the embodiment of the plague it's like she's the the embodiment of the original plague five years ago basically yeah, I can't remember if that's the case. Yeah, well, basically, I think that's what it's hinting at, and I think her, her house being right next to the graveyard and that kind mm. of stuff, and her, like, how at the ending she's dying because you kill the Earth, basically. Oh, right, um, that makes I, sense. I do think there was a connection there, and I think that any weakness in the characterization extended to the children as well, basically, because really, for me, only Murky 
my character developed any kind of attachment to. I think mm -hmm. a lot of the other, maybe Sticky as well, um, but a lot of the others I didn't get that, you know, density of conversation with to, to kind of develop that bond. And I think that's, again, the weakness of the more nonlinear storytelling. But definitely by the end, there was a, I had a much deeper understanding of the people and the culture and what they were like. Um, and although I guess I personally didn't resonate with them and their lifestyle and because a lot of their practices are kind of barbaric, right? Like from an outsider's point of view, they're very tribalistic and, you know, ritualistic. They're, they're very strange. They sacrifice people. The whole argument that Kin make is like, we need to, you know, be less like individuals. If we're individuals, then our, you know, then we're weak to the plague. We need to act in a, with a herd mentality. And that's just so alien to the human experience and literally the Western liberal philosophy that we've grown up with of being an individual and expressing an individuality that it's hard for me to imagine pe most people properly resonating with these people and choosing to save them over saving innocent children. I, I don't and listen, maybe I'm just self-inserting here, but I would never pick the kin over the children. I would always save the town 100% of the time. And I feel like this decision and pathologic one, when it was more of a decision between the town and the kin, um, were kind of like integrated and they were, you were trying to save both as opposed to splitting the people of the town with the kin. I, I didn't really like that dichotomy and that decision between the two because I'm going with the people I've been fucking trying to save the whole game. Like, I'm not going to change my mind. At, yeah, at I the think end. in the first game, it was a bit more clear that the kids would be in the polyhedron and would survive if you blew up the town and destroyed the industrialization. Yeah, um, yeah, but, but the idea was that in... At least for me, the idea is that you would... that destroying the polyhedron was choosing the children whereas uh saving the polyhedron was choosing those intellectual adults that the bachelor was associated with yeah it's all a bit unclear to me honestly how it all fits together i think and that's, that's fair right like like point. it's a very confusing muddy story and i'm not trying to say i understand it perfectly either because i certainly don't but yeah uh, well my experience was that i struggled on day 11 like when they came to me and i was like Man, there's like hundreds of years of like history, and there is well, at least from the Harispex's point of view, there is like a real god basically living mm. in the town underneath it that you are killing. This ancient being that's come into you know existence through uh, you know hundreds of years of tradition and bull worship. Well, that was the other confusing thing for me because in the original game, destroying the um, polyhedron was saving the bull. Yes, they changed the it. Yeah. yeah, so I was like, I don't really understand. I've got to be honest, the, the ending didn't make a lot of sense to me. <laughs> it, mm. it, I, I didn't like, yeah, I, I got to say, I didn't like that, that the way they did the ending. To me, the, the, the way it was done in Pathologic 1 was perfect, you know, choosing between the old ways and the new ways. So maybe I'm being stubborn here, James, and I'm not fully appreciating the change. But I'm destroying that polyhedron any day of the week, mate. <laughs> yeah, as well, as I mean, a Harris I, anyway. I ultimately did go through it with that as well. It um, does, does that mean, like, the Bachelor is trying to save the kin? Like, that's weird. It's, it's just... I don't I, think he gives a shit about the kin. <laughs> yeah, I know, but do you see how it's all being flipped in a very odd way and how it's not as cohesive philosophically? 
maybe someone smarter than me can explain it better but to me it i, I think make it's sense all about the, the future and the past basically and from that point of view it makes sense um it, to me it was like is it worth sacrificing these people like these ordinary people that have been you know torn apart murdering me and killing me for well that was that was what i liked about the original game like the bachelor saw the town as a shithole right yeah whereas the harrisbeck saw the value of these ordinary people's lives and so much of the original story was the Har like the harrisbeck's perspective is that ordinary people the people of this town have value and it is worth sacrificing this miraculous polyhedron that will go to the future to save the lives of ordinary people and i connected far more deeply with that perspective um than i did this ending which i was just a little it's the same isn't it you save the ordinary people by destroying the polyhedron yeah but the whole thing with the kin confuses things right because now it's am i doing this to is it's no longer a choice between the polyhedron in and of itself it's a choice between the kin and the regular people in the town so I, anyway I, I guess to me that doesn't make sense like for that even to be part of the equation because the the horror doesn't value the polyhedron in that way at all like that's not he like that's not what the choice is about basically he has zero value on that aspect of the structure it's all about um the land versus the people i guess and that's actually listen fair play that's a good point because in my head i guess i'm i'm not in the head of the harris specs in that moment like i think of the polyhedron from my point of view i'm like man it feels bad to destroy this yeah he just doesn't care a, right when it's a, strictly irrelevant to him yeah so maybe maybe that's what i'm missing maybe maybe that's just not part of the equation but mm. i guess i really liked that dichotomy and that dichotomy of that ending and it's changed here and i didn't like it as much mm. so we've been talking about the story for a while james can you give me an overall feel of where you are with the story because i've been very negative but i i want you to bring it bring it back a bit so i can uh while i gather my thoughts <laughs> so i think it's different i think that this game's story doesn't invalidate the first games i think that both games are worth playing together narratively at least um maybe not in terms of gameplay but to me they're both worth experiencing in their own ways and it's difficult for me who didn't experience the original higher specs playthrough um but i think that this game the way it ties the gameplay into the narrative is a lot better than they did in the original mm. so it's messy it's not clear-cut for me there are aspects of this that i greatly appreciated like um you know that thing with the note um how the narrative kind of continues regardless of what you do but still takes into account your actions there's somewhat of a reactive feeling although that is probably one of my biggest criticisms of the narrative is that it's not reactive enough for how disjointed it became um like it's like they paid the price for making the gameplay more non-linear but didn't put enough effort in to make the the narrative decisions reactive if you know what mm -hmm. i mean yeah it kind of feels like you could do zero quests and you could still like successfully complete the game as long as you did the mandatory ones at the end they would just mm -hmm. happen regardless 
And in some ways that ties into the meta narrative of fate and not being able to change things to some degree, but um, it wasn't as reactive as I was hoping. So I don't think that this game's story impacted me the same way that the first did. And part of that is because I'm experiencing the story for a second time rather than being, you know, punched in the face with it for the first time. Um, but it's still good. The world building is still excellent. I still love the town and its culture and its weirdness. And all of that still comes through in Pathologic 2. So, um, you know, as a game, like, I think this is still one of the best realized worlds in a video game. Um, there are many aspects of the original that I prefer, but it's really hard to top the trade-offs um, in the gameplay, which we'll have to get to soon. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you hit on it. Um, this feels like the narrative is in service of the gameplay, whereas I would say in the original game, the gameplay was in service of the narrative. Yeah. It felt like they wrote the story of Pathologic first for the original game and then came up Put with some gameplay shitty to gameplay it. after that. Yeah. yeah. Whereas here it feels like they've created this deeply mechanical, interesting set of overlapping systems, and then they've kind of tweaked the story to fit those systems. So overall, I'm lower on this story than I am in the original. And even though they're similar in many ways, I think that most of the changes they've made to the narrative are ultimately for the worse. And I didn't enjoy it. And I mean, it's it's that doesn't mean it's bad. It just means that when there's a direct comparison, a super direct comparison, where I think one's done it better, it's impossible for me not to compare them. Um, on the plus side, I do think there are some fantastic set pieces. Um, the bit where you are infected with the plague uh, when you're speaking to Murky's oh, friend. Oh, yeah. Excellent. Yeah, that was excellent. That... Yeah, it's it's really impactful, and you, it's like a nasty surprise. Uh, the bit where the bell starts tolling, and you make your way to the town hall with all of the reflections pointing you in the direction to mm. go. And then you reach the town hall and everyone's there and everyone's perfectly staged, just brilliant. I think that a lot of the dream sequences are really effective. Uh, we didn't really mention them, but I thought that the theater... Did you do all the theater them, plays? Yeah, I most were, of them. I didn't get all of them, but they were massively improved, I thought. Um, yeah, they were, I think that they were just different. I, I wouldn't say okay. they were better or worse. We We got... They were more, even more metaphysical and weird than the first game. The did first you, game. Did you die enough to release the rat? Yes, that was my second last death. I think I died maybe one time after that. Okay, well. So I was on like day 10 or 11. But you didn't have the big skeleton thing getting built outside the theater with every death. Like no. Okay, there's this giant skeleton that gets a new bone every time you die, basically. Oh, right. It's, it's like, bigger than the theater. It's gigantic, and the oh, rat's, right. like, staring at it, telling you, like, how ominous it is. It's... You know, I, I interacted with the rat after he escaped once. Yeah, so I, I, think, I... I think that was my... <laughs> I only died four, four or five times the whole yeah. game, so I didn't really get that aspect. I think that the reflections, we didn't talk about them, but a lot of the time there are reflections in the same room that kind of reveal the inner thoughts of some of the characters you're talking to that was awesome i love i really like that too yeah it made these characters more sympathetic i would argue in some ways too sympathetic because they've transformed a lot of these like i said evil characters or terrible characters ruthless characters into something a lot more sympathetic which i don't think is always a good change in this game like i think that 
having some truly vile people. I think there are still some truly vile people. Like, Anna Angel is still a disgusting piece of shit. Oh, yeah, she died, like, almost immediately in the game. Yeah, good fucker. Yeah. yeah. But, but <laughs> like, there's uh... There's Var, the scar-faced guy who sells organs and buys organs from you. What do you mean? He's a great guy. He's, he he made friend. me so much money. Yeah. <laughs> um... But yeah, like, for example, Grief is a big softie. Sabarov is a softie. Like, they're all just trying their best. Oh, the change to the foreman is the worst, because he's a big softie as well. I think uh, I think people like, like, the changeling's still a huge prick. Yeah, like one of she's great. I, yeah. I like, the changeling in this game is probably is better than the first, I think. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it's definitely not all bad, but these changes, for me in a story point of view, were ultimately for the worst. And I'd say this is... I was kind of disappointed. Um, however, a lot of these changes were in service of gameplay, and let me tell you, this ain't the same game anymore. Yeah, so let's uh, go to the first music break, because we're an hour in, and then we'll, <laughs> and then we'll just, get to just the gameplay. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah. In, our, in okay. our video game podcast, you think it's time yeah. to talk about gameplay, James? Yeah, yeah well, we'll quickly go over the music and the sound. So it's, it, this is really interesting, I find. So I think the OST for the original game is, like, one of my favorites ever. Like, I fucking love every single song on that soundtrack. Hmm. It's fascinating because I think the sound design itself is massively improved in the sequel here. Um, but I think there are less, there are fewer tracks that are individually memorable. Like there are songs on the original soundtrack that I will open up on you, like, and listen to occasionally. I can hear them in my head, James. Yeah. I can just imagine them and they come, yeah. come to mind. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of ambient stuff in this game that doesn't have that same effect. Um, but it's still good. It's just not as memorable. There are a few like set piece tracks that are like really, really moving. I think the song that plays during the tutorial and the one that plays just after you make the final decision are just both incredible pieces of music. Um, and other than those two, I struggle to remember any in particular, but I do think it was a lot more immersive in some ways. The key thing about this soundtrack is that it's meant to be enjoyed and experienced in combination with all the ambient noise in the background. Yeah. It's not a soundtrack that's really meant to exist in and of itself. And in that sense, I think it provides... It's the right soundtrack for this game. Yeah. Because it, it creates a more immersive experience and lets you sink into the immediacy of the gameplay far easier for pathologic one its soundtrack was the right kind of soundtrack for that game because pathologic one ends up being a more meditative experience as you're walking and walking and walking and you know maybe sidestepping every 30 seconds to avoid a plague cloud mm. but uh so i agree with you james soundtrack is worse but i think that if you were to just put pathologic one soundtrack into this game that would not have been uh, the right choice. I wouldn't choice. call it worse. I think that the really good songs are really good still. There's just not enough of them. Uh, I will say the only thing that I think is strictly worse is the there's no music that plays in Bad Grief's Warehouse. That was like my favorite track on the soundtrack. God, I can, I can, just you saying that reminds me of what that's how that song sounds like. My God. Yeah, it's so yeah, good. That, that's why it's worse for me, James, because I just love Pathologic One's OST. But I do think that this is the right soundtrack for this kind of game. And it's still an extremely good soundtrack. Hmm. So, did you have a song in particular that we can do for the break, Pat? 
Yeah, so the one I was going to go for is, for me, one of the more uh, memorable ones, and it's Miracle Workshop. So this is the song that plays whenever you're in the Harris Bex's lair, and I'm pretty sure that while you can't remember many of the songs, James, this one will definitely uh, yes. ring true for you, because you spend a lot of time in that lair. Um, not necessarily for ages and ages, but you return to that as your harbour of safety uh, quite often over the course of the game. So this is Miracle Workshop. was Miracle Workshop and I can just hear Sticky saying you're a doctor you should know over the back of that one <laughs> that guy, that kid had a few very memorable voice lines while you were trying to cure the plague very ineffectually for the first few days yeah it's like um, you're a doc you're one doctor you should be able to cure this sure. epidemic yeah, he's mate. a child <laughs> clearly he's what a child he know? yeah <laughs> um so gameplay, and this is, I, we're not going to stop talking about the story, I think, because it's so closely interlinked with the gameplay, but... I think we should start by talking about Pathologic 1's gameplay, actually. Oh man, what a glorious game loop that was. Um, so the first game, to me, had a problem where it lacked density for how much time you had in each day. So in both of the games, you play the 12 days continuously, um, there isn't like there aren't any jump cuts between them. Um, you just you know it, you fade from morning to night to morning to night over the and the course. clock is ever ticking. Yeah, the clock is constantly ticking down. Now in the first game, what would happen is you would get three quests a day basically, and you would do them. Um, and I would normally finish by three p.m. <laughs> and then that was it until the next day. There would be no more to do. So you just walked around the town picking and looting objects from bins breaking into houses 
Um, and basically, it was very monotonous, right? Like, and then it would get to nighttime, and then it was time to kill, kill muggers bandits. in the street. Yeah. yeah, and it was the same every single day. That's all you did. It was just walk around, trade with people, and then at nighttime, you can't even trade with people because everyone's indoors. Yeah, and it was it was awful. Like it, it was, and I said I di I don't recommend Pathologic One to people, despite me saying how great it is. Because this gameplay is so monotonous. It's so boring. Like, it, it's really, really, really bad. It is quite boring. And although I did mention earlier that I appreciate the, you know, the time to think a bit more in hindsight, it, it's rough and I struggled to play a second time because of it. Although I feel mm. like I could go back to it now and give it another shot. I, I, I feel like the time you spend walking between quest markers because the first game did a thing where a lot of it would like ping pong you all over the city yeah like you go to speak to someone they'd say oh that person's actually over here and then it would be at the opposite end of the town you'd find them over there and they'd say oh but now you need to take this message to this person so you'd be walking between and that was less bad because you at least had a concrete goal it was as you said that time after you finished the quest and you would just forced to grind for resources because not doing so wasn't optimal yeah that the game really sank into into oh it's so bad <laughs> yeah and i think it's a problem of density if there had been like six quests a day so you didn't have that much time to yourself it would have been much better although still not great I think a big drawback of the first game was that the you know the survival meters like your, your like your hunger and your stamina etc were too lenient basically it was too easy to like get ahead in the economy and stay ahead whereas that was not my experience in Pathologic 2 I was like by the end of the game I was like barely able to keep going like I had nothing I was like down on every single resource um and i think that something the first game i thought did well and i think the second game does even better is that it would throw you economy curveballs where like on day two the price of food would double or something insane like that they do that more often in this game and it's nuts i felt like I was constantly having to rethink my strategies every day it was pretty great yeah so um, we, sh we should jump into how the survival gameplay is different because yeah. uh, I guess the two big differences, and, and this is this is a complicated uh, video game, so we've got a lot of ground to cover. But I would say the two big differences are they solve the density issue. There are all there's always stuff to do. There's too even much. There's so nighttime. much to do. There's, there's more so than you much can to do. do in one, yeah. And so you've got that issue. And also from a survival perspective, you are always short on some kind of resource. You're never content. Whereas in the first game, uh, the hobo economy, once you'd figured that out, you were set. Like you, you yeah. just you just were. If you didn't know what you were doing, you would, you would starve to death and things would go wrong. But once you understood what you were doing in Pathologic 1, it was pretty cruisy. This game is not like that no. unless you're unless you're like a speedrunner or you've played this game multiple times you are you are going to be suffering big time in at least one area majorly whether you're starving whether you're in danger of catching infection wh whatever it is you're going to be you're going to be missing out on something and you can never get it quite right and it gets harder and harder every single day like they throw curveball after curveball at you um and even like 
the concept of time starts working against you like the days get shorter but mm. that like your meters fill faster like you get hungry quicker so you have to be like more and more efficient with your movement and like you just have to prepare and they just take things away from you like uh for a large portion of the game for example like you rely on trading with children for a lot of resources at the end mm. of the game the army rocks up and the children aren't allowed to leave the house so you just lose access to these important trading partners forever um is stuff like that is so cool i, I really enjoyed it it's kind of interesting because when we both played pathologic one um you definitely grasped this concept of the hobo economy faster than i did because i definitely struggled a lot more than you did part of that is that the harris Vex playthrough was harder like you you just have less resources to deal with but yeah. still you you figured it out faster than me it seems like we've had the opposite effect yeah here I, because I got shit on real i like i said i only died four to five times and by using my uh so my strategy james was i don't know if you did this but i was a fucking optimization machine when i was playing this game in a lot of ways i played it from day one understanding that the hobo economy was an important thing i was going hard at that i was trading for all of the nuts and the pieces of garbage from shops um because i knew that they would ultimately be tr able to be traded up in value to children I was, um, once I figured out the dead item shop was buying a lot of crap and sold a bunch of stuff, I was collecting all of the bloody bandages and broken morphine capsules I could, knowing that they'd pay off later. Um, did you engage with looting much in this game? More than I did in the first game, a lot more, I think. But I was, yeah. I, I don't know, I because I, most of my deaths actually came from getting into combat with people um, and then just getting knifed to death. Or like being in a house and having three people in the same room try to kill me. Because I think in this game, fighting one person, you've got pretty good odds. Fighting two people is scary, and fighting three people at once is like you're going to die. Yeah, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight people. I was pacifist until like day ten when I got a knife, and I, I think I would have found the game even easier if I'd. Have actually gone out and actively tried to acquire a weapon earlier mm. i would when i was looting houses i would go into a house and then if anyone spotted me i'd immediately run right and then okay. rinse rinse and repeat because in a burned out district there are so many houses to go into so even if you go in a house and someone immediately spots you you can just safely leave and go okay. into the next house uh in general though uh more specifically with my trading strategy james i was not trying to plan because one of the things that's interesting about this game is that in the original game vendor junk the shit you trade to kids that was its only value this game does something far more interesting in giving a lot of this stuff uh value multiple in terms uses of, right multiple uses yeah in terms yeah. of upgrading your inventory even the um even the water bottles are also used to create potions yeah. Um, so water bottles are both a thing to deal with exhaustion. They're something you can trade to drunks to um, to get healing items, which can later turn into bandages. Use bandages that you can sell at the dead item shop. Yeah, or, or you can make potions with them. So they're they're very multi 
multifunctional in and this is true of pretty much every single item in the game one thing that i had a big trouble with in the first game there was like half as many npcs i think and that made it easy to remember what sold what mm -hmm. i still barely remember who sells what in this game there's so many different vendors um mm. I think I saw somebody who would trade bandages for water like twice in this game. They are or, rarer. They were yeah. a lot more drunks and pathologic ones. One? But, but the bins, you got to hit the bins because the bins give you so many water bottles. I was, I was yeah, drowning yeah. in water. I don't understand the people who have problems with water. Water was like my most traded resource. Every time I found a drunk, it's like goodbye all of my water. Near the end, I was running, like I wasn't running short of bottles. I just couldn't get water sources. Like I repaired like four or five fountains and they each rebroke like a day later. So, um, so the trick is you want to refill from water barrels and water barrels will only have water in them in the fine districts. So if a district's being burned out or it's infected, sometimes. you can't get it. Sometimes, yeah. But I would, if, you, if you're carrying around 24 water bottles, you will find a, and you fill it up completely when you find a barrel, that will last you until your next barrel. <laughs> so so <laughs> as long as you've got a density of water bottles, you're kind of, that water problem was solved for me from like day four or five onwards. Yeah, It was, it was difficult until then though. I didn't proactively do it, like, until, like, day four or something, I think. Right. I, th I think I didn't try to game it with my knowledge from the first game as much on the early days. and that Oh, man, like, that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah, that, that snowballed me into this, like, really rough state later on because I had, like, nothing constantly. And then when I got infected and I just had to, like... I went, like, four days with the plague or something later on because I had no... Because I saw so many schmouders, like, cures mm. for the plague on the first three days, but never had enough to trade for them. I got one out of an item box um, and then had to use, use that on Notkin, like, immediately. Mm. Um, so I didn't... Because I was like, oh, if I don't use it on him, I'll have to keep, like, curing him every day and that'll eat my resources. So I'll do that immediately. And then I just never found one to cure my own plague until I went into the abattoir and it cured it for me, basically. Yes. See, I was a lot luckier with Schmouders. Like, I probably found five to seven over the course of my playthrough. Mm. I traded for two from kids. The dead item shop trade um, gave me, like, three. Well, I traded for three, and um, I got a couple from those children's stashes. So I, uh, I suffered with infection for a while before saying, I cannot do this anymore. This isn't a long-term strategy, and I it's cured myself. It's hey, so. You get really... It, it, it adds up quick. Like, once you start getting, like, I don't know, like 10% of your infection bar, it just starts, like, draining your health constantly and making yeah. you tired. And, yeah, and if, you, if you use the item that lowers infection, it does a bunch of damage to your health. To your health. <laughs> yeah, then you yeah. have to sleep to get it all back. And then in that time, the infection builds up again. So yeah. you're, you're really paddling water here. Up. Like you're, you're, you're suffering and then you're spending money on and trading for things that you would have preferred not to use. Yeah, it's, it's not good being infected. And I strongly recommend using a cure on yourself if you've got one. Yeah, I yeah, can find one. So yeah, yeah. so that whole, that whole three-day section, just like I went to nothing and all my bars almost maxed out constantly. Um, yes, so, and it was about then when, before the army rocks up and there's heaps of bandits that aren't being shot, and I had, like, no health because I was infected, mm. that was, like, I was really struggling to make progress. I was, like, leaving my house, like, 
getting chased and then getting like one hit by something constantly is so bad. Yeah, so so I was struggling the most around day days between like days five, six, seven. Like that's mm. when I struggled the most. But it's funny you say that you had the hardest time at the end of the game because I found the end of the game to be so easy. Like I at that point I was just like i was just coasting along and when i got the knife the game was basically easy mode like i felt like i couldn't lose those last really? couple of days okay. i had so much food i was doing the really? hospital quest i was Man. doing the hospital quest every day and the last one when you use a schmouter on a patient gives you so much money and food like i used my money to right. get like a full clothing set like high tier clothing set at the end of the game Okay. Just because I had so much money. Um, so I couldn't it, do the quests from the, the day where you have to stand in there for like an hour with the plague yes. clouds. I tried that. Yep. And I, I had to, I kept getting hit by the clouds. So I just had to, it, it like, it ate too much of my stuff. I was like, right. I'm, re I'm reloading and I'm just not doing it from this day. And then the next day was use a, a schmouter and I didn't have any. So I didn't do the hospital quest ah, from yeah, like that day thought. six or something. Yeah, see, I did that quest, and because the the other upside of having so much water is that I had so many immunity boosting drinks right. that I was, you know, and because I'd been so proactive in trading, immunity boosters is an item that a lot of the children have, and because I was pushing that angle so far, I had a big stash. In fact, I was at a point where I was trading immunity boosters with people. Because I had like 11 of them. So I had, I was like, I need to get rid of these. That's something I generally did a lot, James. Like, if I had a lot of a resource, I wasn't like, this could come in handy later. I was like, get rid of it. If I can get rid of this, get rid of it. Because I knew that trying to plan and be careful and compensate you know and hope that for the future i'd get a use of it was far less useful in a game like this than getting what i needed now because if i could get what i needed now Man. it would let me keep surviving if you just try and plan for every contingency you will never have enough for every contingency man i yeah and that was me who was like trying to figure out how to get from one point in the town to the other without dying from hunger and was like Okay, I can do it if I eat three walnuts. And I, oh, really? Yeah, like I was My eating God. those things, and that was like the difference between me living and dying in these sections. Like I was, I was in a real bad way. Wow. Yeah, because yeah. it I never was, got like, that bad struggling. for me. <laughs> I was, I put all of like I was just proactively trading for the expensive food whenever I could. Like food. I, I think I just, because I'd gone through the trials of Pathologic 1, like, I went into this game all guns blazing, and I didn't waste a moment. Yeah. Th this game, I, I Pathologic the... 2 demands you strategize and not... Every time, because time is the god of this game, because the clock is always ticking, every single step counts. And mm. so at every, the, this was a very stressful game to play because I had to be 100% switched on with a clear objective of what I was trying to achieve at all times. Yeah, I guess me not get it. So on the the days where like later on you can't use money to buy food anymore, and yeah, I did was, you trade for the vouchers with uh, with death? Uh, I traded for one voucher. <laughs> I, then, I, had, I got about six or seven, so I was I was pretty well set up. Yeah, and then I found I got like two more or something. I think I argued with the lady, and she only gave me one like a day <laughs> so i was not using those at all basically 
They got uh, me like a lemon. <laughs> a single lemon. Yeah. Hey, lemons are good. Yeah, they give you uh, stamina. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But honestly, like, even though I was struggling, like, it was fun, like, trying mm. to work everything out. You have to, like, there's this constant battle of, like, planning your routes efficiently and planning mm. how to spend your resources. Um, honestly, I'm kind of glad that I struggled because it meant like I had to be super careful with my stuff. Like every single thing, like every time I found like anything, right? It was like, oh my God, that's so good. Like I was mm-hmm. breaking into houses because they give you like clothes fairly often, um, which are more of it, like I sold more often than wore because they were just too mm-hmm. valuable. Um, uh, to To make it clear, I think I was... I don't want to make it sound like, oh, this game is easy, because it was not easy. No. Like, I was... It's not like I was in a great shape at all times. It's not like I was not running low on resources. I just think that I went in this into this game with the correct aggressive mindset, and yep. that helped me um, get over the hump, basically, and stay ahead of the game trying to kill me. But to, <laughs> let's let's dive a bit more into... Uh, the details of what this strategizing entails, James. Sure. So let's let's talk about a typical day. Okay, so you wake up in the morning, your hunger's kind of low, your immunity's at about half, and you get a quest. The quest is inside an infected district. What do you do? Well, you need to get to that infected district, so you need to plan a path. But the path from one location to where you're trying to go is influenced by a whole bunch of factors Mm. you have to think what shops are on the way uh oh there is a second quest over here what is my routing going to be between this shop i want to visit this place over here and this place over here and what path am i going to take uh is my immunity high enough and are my clothes in good enough condition to cut through this other plague district or should i take this slightly longer path uh, to get around that plague district so my immunity takes less of a hit. Uh, there's a burned out district here. I could loot some houses on the way, but my health is kind of low. Are these bandits going to kill me if I try and take this path? Oh, I have some fingernail tokens. Uh, these can be used to fast travel between locations, uh, but I can't fast travel from infected districts, only into districts. Oh, if I go through regular districts, I have the opportunity to trade. Do I have excess materials in my inventory to trade with children? Or should I do some looting first so I do have excess materials to trade with children? And then when you finally get into the infected district, you have to make the decision, oh, do I loot in this infected district which contains the most valuable loot? Or do I just try and leave it as fast as possible? And you're trying to think all these things simultaneously. You're trying to carry all this information in your head. And what it is, it is a giant puzzle of opportunity cost. Yeah. And as you, you know, you've, you, you're at your den and you've planned all of this out in your head and you go out into the town and suddenly this other quest pops up or mm-hmm. you're walking past a burnt out house and you hear this baby crying and you know rescuing babies is super valuable because it improves your reputation across every district, gives you heaps of rewards. Mm. Um, but it's dangerous because it's like you're very likely to get uh, hit by multiple plague clouds in there. 
Oh, and um, your cloth mask is just broken, so your immunity is dropping at a faster rate than you originally anticipated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like a constant cycle of reevaluation, and also like the game is split up into acts, so you kind of have these like long-term goals as well that you're trying to achieve, like. Mm. In the mid-game, you're sort of trying to brew as many different types of potions to find which one's the cure. So you kind of, like, you want to interact with the Plague Towns enough to get infected organs, because they are good for brewing potions. Mm. Uh, but organ harvesting is very dice-rolly, and it requires good tools to do efficiently. Which costs money, or yeah, needs to be traded yeah, and, for otherwise, and that's money that could have been spent on bread. Yeah, and every day they throw a new curveball at you, like suddenly you can't spend money on food or, you know, or the water barrels are broken. You planned your route through this uh, district because you know the water fountains are working, but they're actually broken when you get there and now you're out of water. Um, all this kind of stuff. Uh, it's fun, actually. Like, it's very it engaging. Like, it's way more engaging than the originals. Mon you know, monotonous walking through the park, looting every bin. Um, and I'm still just looting every bin. Like, I don't think yeah. that the core concept of the gameplay has changed at all. It's just, like, a thousand times denser and more interesting. It's and been expanded realized. in every direction, yeah. Yeah. I, I think one of the... And, I mean, we've kind of touched on this. So the way the infection works is that each day districts get infected, then those districts burn out, and then uh, and then they return to normal. So So districts are in three states. They're healthy they're infected or they're burned out and it changes every single day and you don't know which are which unless you either purchase maps from notkin's crew or you physically run into them like you go to the border and you can see them or as you walk into them it'll pop up Did and you get identify maps them. from notkin in the first game because i got them from yeah. young flat every day in the first game yeah in the first game i think you could trade for maps like they were trading needles or something i never i didn't engage with that mechanic okay because uh young vlad sold me a map for like i don't know a pittance of gold every day as the bachelor yeah yeah no I, i'm pretty sure you traded for them with notkin and it's not something i did in the first game so yeah, i didn't even speak to notkin in my first playthrough i didn't know he was a character yeah so so <laughs> they they can give it to you but otherwise what will happen is, as James said, things change. You will plan a route through the city, and that will take you from one infected district to a second infected district. So you end up in infected districts far longer than you were trying. And the whole time, in the first game, the way disease worked, it was terrible. Like like a lot of mechanics in the original, it was very binary. Uh, there were disease clouds, and if they hit you, you got infected. And there was like, unless your immunity was at 100, you were going to get infected. And you, it was very hard to keep your immunity at max in that game because like in this game, it drops to 50%. So in this game, being in an infected district constantly reduces your immunity until you go indoors or leave the district. So you have to keep taking immunity boosters. And there are still those plague clouds, which do massive damage to your immunity, yeah. probably like 40%. 
I saw some brown ones as well, which in the original were a lot scarier. I never got hit by one, but I'm assuming it would oh, do more damage. I never saw one, actually. Yeah, I saw um, a couple saw towards the, the end of the game. Ones. Yeah. I never saw the angel clouds. I think those are the brown ones, right? Uh, yeah, maybe you're the red ones. Yeah. And then there was the rats, which aren't in this game. Yeah, well, there are rats, but they don't do anything. They're just, they're just present sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. There were, weren't they? I remember now. Yeah, and they chased yeah, you. They chased yeah, they chased you. Man, that's Those so, it's so bad. You just kind of backed up and stabbed them. <laughs> so, yeah. this reminded me of that. Oh, so shit. Anyway, <laughs> that you, you play through the game and you're constantly thrown curveballs, but they're all like dynamic curveballs and all of these things are emerging entirely naturally from the gameplay uh, mechanisms and you can see why people think of this game as an immersive sim because yeah. it's built all of these systems into the game and these tricky awesome situations just emerge entirely dynamically and your individual playthrough is going to be completely different from mine, completely different from James, because you're going to have problems in different areas at different times over the course of the game. Yeah, there's elements of randomness and variance in this game mm. that are going to throw everyone down different paths. Like, who gets infected is... You can influence it, but it's a dice roll, basically. Um, I think it's in your favor to some degree. Um, but, yeah, and, like, actually helping infected people get better or stopping them from dying is a bit of a chance game as well uh by doing playing doctor on them uh you combat is a bit of it feels a bit janky and a bit up to chance like you can so you start you can... using the sneak then it's uh deterministic yeah, <laughs> yeah. this uh, is like i didn't engage with the combat at all like i said until like day 10 and then i got a knife and it is very easy to sneak up on bandits and get a guaranteed kill on them and then you get that resources i i it was it was very easy it's better than the first game stealth because the enemy the enemy bandits in that game walk just as fast as you and of course they had the infamous throwing knives that did 90 percent oh of God. your health bar so, <laughs> so, bad. so it's it's definitely an improvement but um it's still not like a i don't know it, they're kind of more <laughs> obstacles to be avoided than I, I don't think combat's really a thing that you should enjoyably engage with in this game yeah definitely trying to do it led to a lot of deaths did, did you ever get a gun james because i never had a gun the entire game i got it off lara's quest at the end did you do that oh, one? Yeah. Lara, Lara died in my playthrough. Oh, okay, yeah, because she, she tries to shoot the general like she did in the first game, and you just convinced ah. her to give you the gun. Ah, nice, well done. Yeah, which I immediately sold. And then you're like, now that. I have the gun. Yeah, and I immediately sold it for a loaf of bread because of you. It's, <laughs> it's actually so useless. Dude, the reload animation for, like, a six-shot revolver takes yeah. probably, like, 30 seconds. Like, it's, like, five seconds of him getting the bullet out of his pocket putting it in, getting the next, but it takes so long, it's crazy. And then what'll happen is you'll shoot one bullet, it'll like either kill them or not kill them, and then the gun will jam immediately. <laughs> it's they're so useless. Um, I sold it for bread, like, within the hour. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a knife is just going to be better. In uh, I think lockpicks are the, the premium weapons. Weapon for, for murdering. Yeah, yeah, those things are highly valuable. Everyone wants them. Um, they're not that expensive off good old boy grief. 
Um, yeah, to to dive a bit more into some gameplay specifics, I want to talk about looting a bit because I actually really like looting in this game. Um, it's something that I think is far better implemented than the first game, and a lot of it is to do to the tactile, mechanical feel of it. Yeah. Uh, so it's when the you, UI, right? It's the UI, yeah. So, so the way looting cupboards work is you uh, press E to interact with a lootable object, usually cupboards and things like that. And you get a little pop-up of it with all of the different handles. And drawers, And then yeah. you hold all the drawers. You hold down a button and it will gradually spin and then the drawer will pop open. And it's you never know what's going to be in there, whether it's something immensely valuable or often nothing. Um and it's the same with the lock picking. The lock picking in this game is really good. Like it's it's very simple, but it has this tension to it where every single click, yeah, you basically have to reach balance on two sides with both of your mouse clicks. So you go click, 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 click. And every time you click, it does a little bit of damage to your lock pick. But the trick is that it's not easy to line up both sides correctly. There's some zones which take more clicks to get through than other others. So you have to kind of click a lot in order to get into a location where it unlocks, but you're really scared of clicking too much yep. or clicking mindlessly because your lockpick will break because you've been careless. So it's kind of condensed the tension of lockpicking of the entire game into a mini game and it's the best lockpicking mini game i've ever experienced i loved it i didn't like have that reaction that you're having but it is good it's not like it doesn't take long and it's thematic and the sound effects are great um mm, better I, than the system shock one mini game right uh is is there anything worse <laughs> <laughs> um i thought lo looting was much more interesting in this game honestly like mm. the ui in general is much better the ui in this game's actually really good um just like for looting how objects have this sense of weight to them and they're not actually like modeled in the game world at all there is not like mm. a single item other than maybe like the knife and the lock picks that you can see as a 3d model in the game they're all mm. pictures in your inventory because you only interact with them as containers but they all make different sounds when you drag them and they drop them in your inventory. They all have different descriptions and stuff like that. So they feel, and they're all different sizes in your inventory. And I think it gives them a real like uh, sense of like existence, even though you know they're ultimately just different size JPEGs. You know. Yeah, that that's actually a really good point. That bread and the meat, they feel like real bread and meat, don't they? Yeah. Like you really feel them. And this is the strength of um of menu based design, right? Where I'm often complaining about, you know, games not using menus enough. This game makes extensive use of menus. Like there are so many menus. Everything's a menu in this game. And it's fantastic because of it. Yeah. Like it it, it the game isn't less immersive because there are menus. It's just that for PC gaming menus are far and away the best way to do this kind of thing and i wish more games would have a ui like pathologics i think in many ways it's probably one of the best uis i've ever encountered like it's just perfect while we're on this subject let's talk about the mind map because this is the best thing in the entire game bar none it's like the most innovative thing that this game does and i hope that every like i want to see this in more games because normally mm. quest journals or similar are terrible right they're Poorly, just they're confusing confusing you, you don't know how to poorly organized them, yeah. if they fill up with like 10 it makes me uncomfortable and i want to delete some to make it more you know natural they 
tell information very poorly and they very poorly track the history of your playthrough. So Pathologic 2's UI, the mind map, is its version of a quest journal um, and it is a visual interface that tells you all sorts of things, like it's not just tracking quests, it's tracking the context behind the quests, it's tracking what you haven't found even if it's not shown. Like the, what it is, is, is this, this black screen that has these little circles with pictures in them that you can hover over for a description that says, this character said I should do this, and then it'll have a little line that branches off into a like a dotted outline with nothing in it, and you have to figure out how to progress that part of the quest. And mm. from day to day, your mind map will have like 10 different incomplete sections around it, and they're all like kind of grouped together logically based on how the Haruspecs kind of internally thinks of all of these things. And even when there's like a black space in the middle of the map, you can infer that something is supposed to belong there. And based on what's around it, you can kind of figure out how to unlock the quest in that section. It's really cool. It also um, uses bubble size to determine importance, which is an important yeah, part. And it's not just like a bunch of circles that are the same size, they're subtly different. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, And they change based on like the decisions you made when there's branching options like it doesn't and new information you get yeah it's, yeah it's, it's very really dynamic. good it's awesome yeah, i agree james this this is the next innovation in quest logs like it's it, and it's perfect for this game like it fits it perfectly because this game a lot of ways plays out like a detective game right? yeah there's there's a lot of mysteries that you're trying to solve in this game identities of killers what's going on with the plague what different characters are up to and what they're trying to achieve and having that slowly unravel gradually as you piece together what's going on is wonderful i actually went back to previous acts thought maps just to look at them yeah. just because it was enjoyable to read through and understand what the harrispex was thinking um it's brilliant it's it's just straight up brilliant and for all of my criticisms of the broader narrative strokes of pathologic 2 the way that this internalized thought structure is delivered as a story mechanism and a gameplay mechanism is is top tier and i think that there's nothing to criticize here it's just wonderful and like you james i want to see other games use this mm. like return of the obra din Jin could have used a mind map like this like having having a menu like this and maybe you could argue that that would ruin the game but i would think that that it's a it's a really good way to present related nuggets of information in in this way it's just it's just a really good thing i for, just i really liked games. how it guides the player without spoon feeding them um mm. just by the location of the thoughts relative to the other thoughts like you can figure stuff out based on that um, it lets you know there's more to discover in that area so you're not wasting your time as well yeah once, once without... all the nodes are filled you know okay there's i've, I've finished this area mm. and the map isn't a set size either so you can never really be sure that there is nothing on the outside of it but you know you'll find some weird things here and there but I, I think it doesn't give the game away entirely which i like and I, the ambiguity of the series um you know it plays into that really well yeah it's i i completely agreed with you james i think i think it's a great point 
All right, so let's go to the next music break and then we can continue discussion, I guess. This will be a mm-hmm. long one, I feel. Um, so I'm going to pick the best song in the soundtrack, which I'm not going to pronounce this correctly, so please forgive <laughs> me. Um, Volkia Jagoda um, by... Um, pretty good. Which is the you know the thing that plays near the end of the game in the middle i think it's really evocative i think they nail it the the singer does a bang up job on this song it is just fantastic so here it is Right, that was my favorite piece of music in the entire game. I think that while I love the the original soundtrack to bits, I think that this song, that song in particular, does a really good job of stirring emotion and the really critical points of the story. So, uh, you know, ten out of ten piece of music, best song on the soundtrack. Maybe darkness is a close second, but really good stuff. Um, all right, so I think we've touched most of the major stuff. I just want to spend a bit of time going through tidbits that I thought the game did really well. Um, mm. I think there's some inclusions in the narrative that I really enjoyed. Stuff that I didn't experience at all in the Bachelor's route, like the Rat Prophet stuff, I believe, was in the first game, but only yep. in our respects, our respects only. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never saw any of that. I thought the the encounter with Grace in particular and that whole section I thought was really cool. Um, mm. I thought that 
the way that the stuff with the Savarovs was handled with the changeling requesting and then the murky encounter was awesome. Honestly, I was like my biggest disappointment narratively probably is that we don't see the bachelor and the changeling enough because they're by far the most compelling characters. And I think part of that is because they went into it expecting to make the routes for the other two characters. So you don't need that in the individual playthroughs, but I disagree. I, I think that's the heart of the problem. I think that when they wrote the original game, and obviously I don't know for sure, that they wrote it all cohesively in one overlapping yeah. narrative. I think the problem with this is that they wrote the Harrispecs by itself, and they probably had a vague idea of what the Bachelor and the Changeling were doing, but they weren't finished. Like, they hadn't actually fully written, rewritten that, that part of the story. So as a result, it feels a bit empty because that density of the world building isn't there. Yeah. And I mean, this is a thing that happens. Like, it's not always... You do, like, obviously, there'd still be a lot of stuff we didn't see, but we should have felt the subtle ramifications of other stuff happening. And that is something that happens in the first game as the Harrispecs. You can feel the strings being tugged even if you're not the one pulling them right mm. in this game i just didn't get that feeling and i i think that's a big reason why i enjoyed the story of the first one better yeah me too okay um and then the only other thing was now that we've talked a bit about the gameplay and its impact on the story um mm. i do think and i did mention this earlier but i do think the game isn't narratively reactive enough um I think it, I don't think it even can be realistically like I feel like my decisions in the first day they had a knock-on effect and it rippled throughout my like survival meters and the way that I you know prioritized where to go through the town but it never really shook up where the narrative went and my only real decisions that inf uh, you know affect the outcome of the story happen at the end Whereas I thought with this more open-ended structure that you would have these decisions early that would, you know, mm. continuously come back um, to bite you throughout the whole game. You know, we we actually talked about this at the end of Pathologic One about what we were hoping to see from Pathologic Two, and one of them was difficult narrative decisions. Like what I wanted from this game, I guess, with this kind of structure was: here's some medicine. These two people are infected. You can save one yeah like you can and and variations on that theme oh this district is infected we can burn it to the ground and it will create a safe zone in these two neighboring districts do you raise it to the ground or do you let the infection stay we get so much gameplay uh, ramifications in this way that We've been over it. The whole game makes Resident Evil's opportunity cost decisions, a game that we love to pieces, look infantile in comparison. Like, this is a survival opportunity cost really pushed to its limit, and it's fantastic because of it. But you don't have narrative opportunity cost decisions in a way that you would think would flow naturally from the brilliance of the first game. I think it's a budget problem, right? Like, the when you do that stuff, you have to write like so many versions of every day um in order mm. to keep things coherent as it spirals outward from your decision making which like i get why they had to go this route but that is like to me that's the ultimate fantasy of you know a real imagining of this world 
Um, Continuing with the story discussion, um, I know that you were still struggling towards the end of the game. Did you feel like the story petered out a bit towards the end? Because I definitely felt like the last couple of days I was suddenly having more time on my hands. Like I had more time to do miscellaneous looting and stuff like that because it seemed like then and i mean that kind of makes sense right the game is coming to a climax but what i was expecting and this is something that pathologic one does is that i was expecting that by the end of the game everywhere would be infected but the game very rigidly stays with its structure of you know there are one third of the town is safe one third of the town is infected one third of the town is burned out i thought it would just get worse and worse and worse until there were no safe parts of the town man you had a very different experience to me um one of the the big plot points you know how you had heaps of schmouter yes okay at the end of the game there's this bit where you talk to the incarnation of the plague directly and he's basically like fuck you um and infects every single person on your list yeah man that was such a mad dash and like half of mine died anyway um yeah because i saved so i i had because i i had you know you go through that linear stealth section yeah. and you get the blood in the bottle so i ended up getting three because i drank a couple before yeah, I, knew what I was doing so i ended up getting three and then i had two schmouders so i was able to cure five of the seven and then i gave immunity pills to the other two and one of them survived and one of them died so in the end six of my seven survived <laughs> which i was pretty proud of because it was a bit of a scramble but but i got there i think like i think Three or four of mine died. Like Grace died. Mo uh, not Murky. I saved Murky specifically because I was like, I fucking yeah. dealt with like three days of being infected for this idiot. I'm not letting him <laughs> die now. Um, yeah, so, Sticky so died bit... like halfway through the game randomly, like on a five percent dice roll or something. <laughs> yeah, my the only person that died was the Termitary girl, the uh, Mother Superior. Uh, the rest survive because you know i'm i'm a great healer unlike you james yeah well i mean it's really trick is to roll schmouters that's that's the trick yeah I had schmouters in well, my dead item shop I like every night i didn't have great. enough time to keep myself alive basically like and yeah. keep them alive there was this like I had. well she's like right in the corner of the map as well near nothing so it's a big trick Oh, no, 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 she hadn't, at that point in the game, sh I hadn't sent her down there, so I cured her. Oh, okay. So on that day, I had to cure her in the termitary, then send them down there. Uh, and then what smart. I had to do was I was out at Herbs, so I had to run there anyway. And what, <laughs> what I had to do was I had to start the day from scratch, and I had to time it so that as I was talking to the NPCs and getting the, like, 50 Herbs off the ground... It would tick over to 2 p.m. and the Inquisitor would call me to the cathedral and it would teleport me back to the town so I didn't have to run Genius. back. Yeah, yeah, I had to save time <laughs> by doing that. That's how tight things uh, were. Like, my puzzle was fucked at the end. It was like, and I was like eating nuts to survive, basically. Did, did you figure out that when you're in the boats that you don't lose hunger or thirst? No, but I did notice yeah. that sometimes it's slower. Yeah, so basically you can use that as a hack almost because it's like, or is it exhaustion that doesn't go down? Yeah, I think it's exhaustion. So you can use it, it's like a lemon. It's basically when, when you travel by boat, it's also giving you energy back. Yeah. So you want to travel by boat whenever possible. Like I had, I would trade anything for fingernails. Like they were so useful. 
And when they start asking for two, it's still worth it. Like Man. that was it. That screwed me over though. When when I went to the first one, they're like, "Yeah, you need two. I'm like, like, "No, I have exactly one." And this was what I planned my whole bloody strategy around. I had so many herbs at the end of the game, man. I had like stacks of twenty five. Oh, jeez, no, I was barely yeah. like, I had to go get more on the last day. Um, yeah, it, it really sounds like my I also only aggressive, man... determined strategy in the early game really saved me. I also only was able to use one of the potions I made. Like, I only worked out the kidney one because I never found anyone. Who, like, I made the brain potion and nobody ever needed a mm. brain, like, that one. So I never got to, like, fill that bit. So I didn't get the dream thing that gets you the blood at the village. I don't know if you... I didn't get that either. Okay, sure. No. Yeah, because you need to do, like, three of them or something before day. No, I was, I was really bad with that. I was actually starting to panic. Uh, early on yeah i I'm thought like, i wasn't gonna make i, any I thought kills. <laughs> well that's what i thought it was i was like oh my god because i spent all i put all of my effort into doing the quests and staying alive and i was like oh i get what this game is doing i'm not going to be able to cure anyone because i haven't been putting effort into upgrading my machine I thought because I hadn't upgraded and tinkered with my machine to max level that I wouldn't be able to make cures. <laughs> and then it just lets you do it anyway, which uh, which I'm grateful for, but that would have been a nice it's fuck you to the, you to the player. Thrown your way. Yeah, yeah. yeah, don't think they can do that. The original game also had different endings depending on how many people you saved. I don't think it's got that, unless there's a hidden ending if you save everyone. I, I, I don't know. I don't think so. Um maybe they do um i did th it was less reactive in that way because you get to if you save not just your people but the other two people you get special endings um i was also gonna ask did you ever find reuben because i got no. a couple of notes saying reuben was in, in the, the warehouse one, I never as found a needle it. in a haystack i literally had two notes there and i'm like i i couldn't figure out how to well, i knew where it, it was because there was this one building that had like a lock when i went up to it i was like i know <laughs> right. where it is but it won't let me open the door <laughs> uh, okay yeah i i didn't even know where it was uh and in the like i said in the original pathologic one that's the trigger for you you discover him as part of the main quest and then you get captured and sent to jail and I was like, this is going to happen. And then that didn't happen at all. Mm. I was like, have I missed something super crucial? Did they crucial? play up the friendship between you, Grief, and him and Lara as much? No, that's that's all added. So Ruben doesn't... I don't think he hates you as much in the original. Grief is a much worse human being in the original, but he's still not as bad as you might think. He's not like uh, evil, evil in the original. No, no, no. I wouldn't say he's evil, evil. It, it's just he's a big, big softy in, in this one. And Lara, I don't think, has quite as strong or maybe quite as obvious as a romantic interest in you as she does in this game. Yeah, it's very um, obvious in this one. So, yeah, that, that whole thing is all new added content, that, that old... And I think it's good added content yeah, for I what agree, it's worth. Yeah. Like, I, like, I like how he's connecting with his old... And I, I really enjoyed when we were all gathered together out near the uh and talking shit yeah i liked that bit as well um yeah. what about eva yan didn't jump off the cathedral in this one she jumps off the cathedral oh she yeah in the bachelor's playthrough she commits suicide for his benefit i think what the fuck yeah it's brutal that, actually uh i'm getting a vague memory of that maybe 
It's on like day Maybe. eight or something. She throws herself from the top of the cathedral. I mean, Eva Young's the girl who's living with the bachelor, right? Like she's the one who's giving him giving her house. house. Yeah, yeah. She hates you. <laughs> you show up and she tells you to go away. Yeah, it's, it's great. I, I, yeah, I only met her and Yulia very late into the game. I was starting to wonder if they were even in the game. Yeah, and it, that is true to the Harrisbeck's playthrough. Like, don't get me wrong, all of those characters that you're so deeply invested with in the Bachelor playthrough are not really in the Harrisbeck's playthrough. Same with the, but the brothers, like the Stamerton brothers. You don't talk to them, like, at all as the Harrisbeck's. You barely do, Whereas yeah, the because, Bachelor talks to them, like, every day. Yeah, because they're so involved with the Polyhedron, and that's yes. what the whole thing is. But that's the, I guess that's the thing. Even when in the, in the Harrisbeck playthrough, for example, I know that one of the ruling families, I can't remember if it's the Sabarovs or the um or the Canes, but they're they're trying to uh, set up. Um, I think they they want the younger Vlad, sorry, the the Vlad's son, to take the fall for locking the termitry, or maybe it's the other way around. Like that because they're like, oh, the son isn't as strong as the father. So if we can get the father locked up in the termitry to take It sounds uh, like a Sabarov thing, honestly. Yeah, and I just didn't get any of that sort of stuff from from this game. It just felt like they were doing it. Also in the original, part of the reason that he locked them up was to protect them from the infection. And that's just not a thing here. I thought He's they just did like, say yeah, they would have rioted. Yeah, I was wondering about that. I didn't see that either. Yeah. Well, he says that, but it was the younger son who does it, right? Yeah, it's the younger son that does it, but the father takes responsibility for that I thought that, that was the same. Um, although, yeah, they def definitely didn't play up that humanitarian angle as much. Although, yeah. younger Vlad seems more sinister in this game to me. He seems almost like... Oh, dude, he's super sinister in the first game. He's... Like... A yeah really he's, okay he seems very sociopathic yeah in he's this game. he's definitely like that in the first game like he's very i would say he's very ruthless but he does it in a way sociopath sociopathy is a good word for it like he, he gets you to murder people in cold blood basically uh but he's also you know like he's more he's not as held back by the he's more progressive than than his father like he's the one who's digging all these tunnels which is you know super sacrilegious in in the town and pathologic yeah, because I remember in the Bachelor's playthrough, I think it was like they off they suspected it was his well that was where it came from, mm. and then I think I think all the houses have these tiny little holes into the earth, so that the houses have a connection to the earth, and that's why the they start scabbing up. That's yeah, that's why the districts keep getting infected because it's coming up through the little holes. Did you um? What did you think of the um of the reveal that it was Isidore who was patient zero who deliberately got himself infected? Makes a lot of sense to me on retrospect, honestly. Was that a thing in the first game? I don't think it was anywhere near as clear. Because I, I was actually, I remember looking, trying to figure it out. I, I think it was unclear whether he was kind of like going insane or not, or whether it was something he did deliberately. But in this game... It, like you can you can call him a madman and insane and in a way he is but it fits yes. the world of pathologic that he would do what he would do like yes. it's very believable like he he conceived of himself as the spiritual leader of this town he was a surgeon he saw it was broken and he genuinely believed that this was what was needed to break down the town so it could be built up again uh so i really liked it um i i well, liked that uh, the... as an explanation that's... it's it's a very sound one 
Well, thematically, I think the game is very cohesive in a lot of ways. Like, one of the running threads about you as a Yagashan or, like, um, someone who knows the lines, um, you know, as a spiritual leader, is that in order for connection to exist between things, they must be separate. And so that plays into the whole, you know, cutting to forge connections thing that mm. I think... Isidore, that's his plan for the town, right? He's going to smash it apart so that connections can be made between the disparate elements of, you know, the people who live there and the kin who are sort of at odds at each other's throats um, and kind of tearing the town apart. Yeah, and in, to be... in, in the end, you can't save them all, <laughs> which yeah. is unfortunate. But you do see, I think, in the ending we both went with, you do see a better future for the town with the children taking over mm. um and you can see that with the connections they're forging like uh khan and capella who are obviously going to marry and form the leadership team of the new town which and is Capella's kind of so sinister to me i don't know if she came across that way to you but khan seems very naive yeah like straightforward and understandable and she was very manipulative um I think that was the point though, right? Yeah. Like they're they're a good political match for one another for that reason. Like you can imagine the the kind of team they would make as adults, yes. with him being the connection to the regular person and her doing a lot of the actual ruling and decision making. But you'd hope that those two would balance one another out, right? Mm. That's why it makes sense as a political alliance. I don't know, it, mm. it rang true for me. It's interesting because I do love the story of the first game, but this game was more cohesive in its themes to me, you know, between all the stuff with the lines and the Yagachan and the kin um, and all of the metaphysical stuff with the, the theater. Um, the introduction of the Traveler, who is very unsubtly, death. you know, death himself, right? That you mm. make very dubious deals with throughout the game and... Uh, it's one in particular when you die too much, like he offers to take away all your pain and misery. But the, <laughs> that is says, the most obvious trap. I did read about that. Yeah, yeah. And if you take it, it like locks you into the bad ending. Like not even just a bad ending, just a non-ending where you don't get an ending, mm. and the theater staff berate you for taking the deal because you know part of the theme of the game is overcoming death through, and not death as death of the player character but death is this concept of nothingness um that the traveler kind of represents because he's this like force that's working against the theater troupe almost to try and get you a non-ending because the theater of death they're they're obsessed with like the human experience through suffering right mm. and the the force of death is not you know a physical death but a death of the soul really um, and a human experience, and I thought all of that meshed together here brilliantly. I reckon it's time to move on to final impressions, unless there's something else you want to add, James, before we No, I on. think that's about it. <laughs> all right, so well, good... well, I'll start if you like. Sure. Um, Pathologic 2 is a fantastic game. I know I've been ragging on the story a lot, but it actually is still quite a great story, and I think that Pathologic 2 is far and away the best way to experience this story, even as, if it's worse. And the reason for that is Pathologics 2's gameplay is fantastic. Like, it's 
it's absolutely brilliant how it takes so much opportunity cost and you have to figure out how to balance all of these different things and you have to do it dynamically as well if i was to play pathologic 2 again if i were to start the game again the way i would approach it strategically would be different because of the lessons i've learned but my actual specific journey through this game would be completely different based on the variance of what gets thrown my way and based on the individual decisions I make as, as I go along and try and beat this game. So the fact that the gameplay is so engaging, so stressful, so interesting, and so, and so ever-changing is, is a masterpiece of gameplay. Unfortunately, I think that the tight densely written interwoven narrative that characterized pathologic one with its mis mysterious dialogue something that is special about the we we said we both preferred the obscure dialogue of pathologic one but one of the things that makes it so special is that as you play through the game all of that dialogue is suddenly not nonsense it gains deeper meaning as you understand what the game is trying to tell you and what you per first perceived as nonsensical ramblings is actually very meaningful in most cases there's still some silly stuff in there and that's kind of been gone because what what and what it's been replaced with is something more intimate the immediate suffering of all of these characters that you're engaging with so you get a narrative which is far more in service of the gameplay and i think it's a great narrative and a great gameplay experience but i can't help but lament the death of what pathologic one did with its story i'm hoping that we see dlc for the bachelor and i'm hoping after that we see dlc for the changeling because it's entirely oh, possible when that all gets released, that we will have a story that's just as good as the first game when seen all together. But as it is now, it's not quite there in a story sense. I'm worried about that. They're, we're never getting that changeling route. That changeling, <laughs> that's so sad. It's just too far Honestly, away. Honestly, it might 20, be for the best. That character's better when they're a huge question mark. Um, 2036, changeling DLC. Uh, I hope. <laughs> I, I think that what I want to finish on is that it is hard for me to entirely divorce these two games in terms of critiquing them. But if I take a step back and critique Pathologic 2 by itself, Pathologic 2 is a fantastic game. It's, it's, it's a masterpiece. You should absolutely play it. I absolutely recommend it. I think that uh, when you compare these two games, if I had to tell you to choose one, it's Pathologic 2, and it's not even remotely close, because regardless of how good Pathologic 1's story is, the gameplay is so bad that it drags it down to, to the point where it's a very hard game to recommend. I'd recommend it specifically to people who fully understand the experience they're getting into and are happy to suffer through the gameplay for the story, or people who have played Pathologic 2 and kind of understand the nature of the game, who love the game world so much that they're basically on board with experiencing the gameplay of pathologic one to to i guess learn more about the bachelor or changeling routes overall though it's a really good game and i am sorry if i've come off as overly negative about the story because i do think it, it's been i've been weighed down a bit too negatively by my love for pathologic one story but it's it's a great game in most aspects and one that you should definitely play if you enjoy being stressed out of your mind 
And I would agree that that is a perfect depiction of Pathologic 2, a game where you are stressed out of your mind constantly. This is not a game characterized by fun and relaxation, this is a stressful, dark, depressing experience that makes makes you feel like you came out on the other end, you know, a bit, you know, more experienced for it in some ways. I think that Pathologic 2, like the first game, does a really good job of throwing hundreds of questions at the player and kind of leaving those questions up to your own interpretation to solve. In many ways this game does that better, um, but like Patrick, I have this soft spot in my heart for the story of the original game that I don't think any other game will probably ever fill, right? Um, I personally think I will probably go back to the original at some point in the future to try the other routes, even though in many ways this game's gameplay completely trounces and obsoletes the gameplay of the first game. What they've done with this sequel is take what was by far the worst part of the game and make it into the best part of the game. This crazy opportunity cost simulator that really pushes you to be creative when you have dozens of items that have multiple uses. There are so many different strategies that you can adopt and find with this game, it's really fantastic. In Pathologic 1, I really struggled to start my second playthrough due to the gameplay. In this game, I could easily play the same route again and have a completely improved experience because of how strong the gameplay is. So, you know, and this is built on top of that fantastic world and story that the original was based on, and it's in some ways not as strong, but in other ways much stronger, particularly with the, you know, the meta with the meta-narrative on the background, I can very easily recommend Pathologic 2. I will be thinking about this game for months, just as I was the first game, and I will be returning to this world again in the future, and I'm ex super excited about the Bachelor route, which apparently is going to be completely different gameplay-wise now, mm -hmm. um, which is exciting in its own ways and scary in others. Um, yeah, and we don't really know what's coming with that, but I'm... I'm eager to see what it is and I'm I'm glad that they're tr kind of trying something new and experimental and it might fall flat on its face but it's kind of more interesting that they're trying to do that and try and give you something unique than just be a similar thing again set in the same world. Yeah, so uh absolutely a recommend for this one to me if you have not played the original I probably would just absolutely recommend you starting with this one. It's a much yep. friendlier player experience. The gameplay is much better. The st but I, I would not discount the value of the first game if you play this and like it. I think there is something there, something very special that isn't completely replicated here. Um, but, you know, for most people... I would absolutely recommend this one. It's not going to be an easy game. I think a lot of people who play this for the first time, having not experienced the original, your experience is probably going to mirror my gameplay experience more than Pat's. Um, and it's yeah, worse, I'd it's, say. Yeah. You're, you're probably going to get hard locked. Yeah. Like you're going to run out of food and I, die. I reckon and have you're going to have to start scratch. the game again from scratch. Yep. I think that is the intended gameplay experience, honestly. This yep. is a miserable experience about pushing through human suffering and it is part of the experience to embrace that suffering and push forward anyway so this is a very special game i think you should play it yeah it's um it's a tough sell for a lot of people and this isn't going to be the ga a game for everyone but I, it's incredible how they took like 
a bad gameplay experience, like a an atrocious gameplay experience, and turn it into best in slot. Like, have you ever played a game like this before? No. no. Yeah, it's just it is the best at what it does, and nothing even comes Man, close. I've seen people like reviews it, that say this gameplay and the survival is outdated, and the game would be better without it, and it just like hurts my soul to read that shit. Those people are idiots. Yeah. So, so basically, <laughs> those people they see the world of Pathologic Two, and they want to experience it, uh, without having to deal having with having to suffer the, for it having to suffer honestly for those it, yeah. people probably would enjoy the first game more <laughs> and honestly there are that after a lot of backlash they did eventually introduce some yeah. ways to tweak those survival meters and at the end of the day like i'm not against that like if if the way you want to experience this game is modding it or using difficulty sliders that's fine like people people can experience these games however they like but i do think that the best way to experience this game is to suffer and fail yeah. and then try I, again. I think my... And, and if you don't suffer and fail and try again, then you're not... Getting the point of the game, you're, I guess. You're not getting, well, you're not getting the full weight of the experience. Like, not, not every time you watch a movie or read a book or play a game needs to be happy and easy and like going. Sometimes you want the you want... full spectrum of of possible experiences and pathologic 2 delivers a horrible suffering experience and the world is richer for games like this existing mm, yeah it's really something special i man i love this series it's great um i think i i booted it up again today like having finished it a few days ago and was like man i mm. I can't get myself sucked back in because I'll just sit here for like another eight hours. <laughs> exactly. Well, I did a lot of binge playing. I was just playing and playing and playing because there's always something like there's always another thing to think about. Like you're always planning. It's it's a very mentally engaging game because the clock doesn't let you not be mentally engaged. Yeah. You cannot you cannot wander aimlessly in this game. You must have a plan at all times. And I think that was probably the key more than anything to me having a bit more success than you, James. Yeah. Well, honestly, I think my experience was better for, like, how Being bad it was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it does sound... I mean, if you're if you're abusing the tele, the forced teleports, Yeah, that's mate, how rough I'm, it was, yeah. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. Alrighty, I, I think that just about does it for episode 100, Pathologic 2. Massive thanks to not only those who are listening to this episode, but to everyone who's listened to us for the past 100 episodes. Um, we've been doing this podcast for four years now, or nearly four years, and I have loved not every moment. There was some, <laughs> some downside. I've loved most of doing this podcast, and it's been an absolute delight to do it with you all this time, James. And here's to, uh, here's to another 100 more. I'm, uh, I'm eager to keep going and exploring games of the past to uh, crap on them or praise them depending on whether they're a JRPG or not. And if you would like to hear all those wonderful moments of us praising or crapping on games in the past 100 episodes, please do go on by our website, uh, which is rspodcast.net. It's got links to every single one of our episodes, as well as a bunch of articles that James and I have written on both old games and new. Most importantly of all, it's got a link to our Discord server where you can join the conversation, recommend games, or criticize our opinions, all of which is welcome. I know that there are a lot of Pathologic fans in our Discord server, and we'd love to hear what you think and if our thoughts gel with yours, particularly in relation to the story, because I felt like uh, I've seen more praise for the story than 
than hatred. And although I don't hate the story, I felt like it was deserving of more critique than I've generally perceived in the wider community. Um, with that, James, it's time for episode 101. We're not slowing down. So what do you have planned for us for episode 101 of the Retrospectors podcast? It's hard for me to pick a game that tops Pathologic 2. Um, I kind of want a more lighthearted game, uh, something a bit less involved gameplay, um, but maybe still interesting in its own way. So I've had this one kicking around on my list for quite a while. I played it when I was younger and really enjoyed it. I'm not sure if I'd enjoy it the same amount today, but uh, we're going to give it a go anyway, and that is Fable 1, a game I played through once and love to bits uh have you had any experience with this series patrick i've actually played it through a couple of times um i borrowed okay. i borrowed a friend's xbox also when i was young because i didn't have one but he was going on holidays uh for like three months so i got his xbox for three months and i played fable and i also really liked it um definitely killed that girlfriend of yours though i think her name's whisper that's mainly <laughs> what i remember she deserves <laughs> to die and i think when i play it this time i'm going to be evil I suspect it's going to end up being a fairly shallow game, but maybe after playing Pathologic 2, having a bit of a shallow, relaxing game isn't the worst thing in the world to uh, refresh us before we move on to other video games. Yeah, so I need I'm, a bit of a mental break after this one, I think. <laughs> a, a palate cleanser. So, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's, not, it's not a bad choice by any stretch, and it will be interesting to delve into how deep the game's mechanics are. This is by Peter Molyneux before he truly went off the deep end. Uh, but hmm. I do think that it is kind of got that uh, aspect of, um, you know, him him dreaming bigger than was perhaps possible. Yeah, I uh, didn't particularly like either of the sequels when I tried to play them. There was something special to me about this first one, and I hope that I can uh, recapture that with this playthrough. But we'll see um, in a in a few weeks time i i still remember <laughs> there's a uh, rock paper shotgun article which is an interview with peter molyneux and the opening line of the interview is are you a pathologic liar <laughs> like that's that's how he opens the interview and he doesn't get shut down like he goes and has an interview with him it's just the funniest shit <laughs> how aggressive he is with this interview i love it uh, but yeah, anyway, thank you so much for listening to us uh, talk about Pathologic 2 for our very special episode 100, and we'll see you in three weeks. See you then, guys.